Welcome to Politics Weekly. I'm your host, Nolan Cleary. Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. This week, we'll be talking about the sexual assault allegations against Michael Avenatti, a bunch of potential 2020 presidential contenders, new election results, and more. Welcome to Politics Weekly. I am back with a returning guest, Democratic uh, uh, gubernatorial candidate uh, for governor of Kansas, Jack Bergeson. Thank you again for joining me, Jack. It's great to be here. Thank you. Now, <clears throat> a lot's happened uh, since we last talked. Uh, for starters, as of the time this is being posted, it has been two weeks and counting since Election Day. Uh, and if you look at Kansas, uh, if you go back there, uh, Laura Kelly ended up winning the governor's race despite being a Democrat in an overwhelmingly Republican state that backed Trump and Mitt Romney overwhelmingly in 2016 and 2012. Um, now, I know the last time I, I asked you a question about uh, Laura Kelly, and you said you, you kind of expressed a little bit of skepticism about her. You even said that out of all the Democratic candidates, you were the most skeptical of her. What are your thoughts now that she has won the governor's race? Um, you know, she ran a really good race and she was able to put forward a positive vision for Kansas, which is something we did not see the Republican candidate do. You know, he tried to, you know, just kind of attack the Democrats. You know, he didn't really try to put forward his own vision. While Laura Kelly tried to, you know, really present a new, you know, a vision of cutting the taxes that affects middle class people and rebuilding our public education system, I think really that's how she was able to win is her opponent was exceptionally bad and she was able to, she hyped up the things that were most likely to get swing voters. Um, I think two of the most interesting swings that we saw, if you look at the map, were in Johnson County, which is the mostly affluent Kansas City suburbs, which usually kind of go barely Republican, have a lot of moderate state legislators out of there. Um, it went overwhelmingly for Laura Kelly, 56% to like 38%, and Ashley Brownback won that county four years ago. So that was a ginormous shift in the favor of the Democrats. And then here in Wichita and Sedgwick County, um, Laura Kelly won, uh, I think, about 48 to 43, about the same as the statewide margin, um, which is really interesting because... Sedgwick County usually goes about 55-45 for the, for the Republicans. Um, so we did see some interesting shifts in the metropolitan areas as well as um, 
that she did win a couple of rural counties, um, which I think showed she did have some appeal. Mm-hmm. I think it was mostly on the public education issue and on the, I think the, she ran a couple ads where she talked about kind of the food tax because we we're one of the few states that taxes groceries. So I think yeah. that those two issues were really able to galvanize her. I still think, admittedly, she was my last choice. I, I don't hide that. But I think she's going to be, you know, I think some, I think the other two Democrats, of the major candidates that I would have preferred in the primary would have done like would have moved Kansas. I kind of would have been reformist. She's not going to be a reformist. She is simply going to get our state kind of back to where we were before the Brownback disaster, which is good. But I, I don't know. Cause you know, I just don't see the vision. I mean, I'm still very glad she won because she's going to be able to get her state back to a pulse and kind of maybe reinvigorate some business. We may be able, we're going to move forward, just not in the revolutionary way. I think that some of the other candidates kind of had a vision. I don't really see that same vision. I kind of see like we're going to go back to what worked before, or you know, try to emulate that, which which is good, which is a lot better than what we have now. But I, um, so I really hope that we're able to, you know. She's already doing some things that are kind of pleasantly surprising. She's really coming out hard, strong out of the gate, which I'm liking. Mm-hmm. And I think she's she's going to be a good governor. But then, um, like, she's in the primary, and we're still seeing this now, she's not being overly strong on the marijuana issue. Um, Kansans, like, there was an approval poll that shows majority of Kansans do approve of medical marijuana, even though one of, one of the only states that does not have any legal marijuana, medical or recreational. Um, and I think some people are saying that even with the Republicans holding the legislature, there are enough moderates there that they could get it passed. Mm. Of the, and, and she would probably sign it if it got through, but, you know, she's probably not... We, I hope she would have to champion it. She'd really have to make that a big issue, and I don't know if she's willing to do that. Um, if she wants to use her political capital there, but I think some of the other Democrats might have been willing to fight for that issue more. That's the one issue where I really... That's that and just kind of, like, right, the reforming of the healthcare system in the state. She's going to probably try to get Medicaid expanded. She's going to try to get Medicaid expanded, which is a big deal. We'll get health insurance to 200,000 more people and hopefully keep alive some of our rural hospitals because a lot of our rural hospitals have been closing because the fact that we did not expand Medicaid and they've simply not been had enough patients to stay open. But if we're able to expand Medicaid, we're hoping that will really help revitalize the rural um, health system. Same issue going in Oklahoma. But um, they just elected a far right Republican governor, so that they're probably not going to have any luck of getting that any, yeah. of getting that fixed. But Kansas, we've elected a Democratic governor. We have a more, more moderate legislature. Um, so I'm hoping we, you know, the health care issue. But you know, I, again, one of the reasons I attacked her in the primaries is because she does, she has for years taken campaign contributions from health insurance companies that benefit from the privatization of Medicaid here in Kansas. So, you know, and I, I don't think she's going to try to overturn the, the brownback uh, privatization because um, I believe, you know, she's going to do what her donors would want. I, 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 I'm not. I'm not seeing through rose-colored glasses. I know that we're not going to get everything we want. But even expanding the bad system is better than not expanding it at all. Because, you know, um, but I think some of the other Democrats kind of show that they would be more interested in reforming that system. But I, I, I mean, if she does, that would be great, but I don't think she's going to even try to push with that. Um, so yeah, Kelly is good. I'm excited to see where she leads our state. Um, I'm behind her now, you know, of course, after the primary, I was behind her because, um, and I'm just, I'm, for me, it's also not her victory. It's also her, who she defeated, you know, Chris Kobach. Chris is, Kobach, yes. You know, Chris Kobach is, 
you know, spent eight years trying to undermine democracy in Kansas and also trying to push far right ideology in other states. You know, he was he was one of the ones who helped write the Arizona far right Arizona immigration law and such bills. So I mean, he's really not only done harm in Kansas, he's done harm in other states. And I'm very glad to see that he wasn't even able to get 43 percent in a state that is considered to be Republican. You know, I always kind of push back at that notion. I don't view this right. That I don't. I don't view her election as many in the national media view as a miracle. I don't because I mean, if you look at the past governors in the state before Brownback, we had a Democrat for eight years, Kathleen Zebelius. Before her, we had a Democrat. Um, before, before her, we had a Republican, a very, very moderate Republican for eight well, I years. I think actually endorsed her. Kelly. I think she, he yes, actually endorsed all, the only living governor, Republican or Democrat, yeah. who did not endorse was Kelly. Brownback. Was Brownback. I mean, both former living Republican governors, Mike Hayden and Bill Graves, um, who were both really moderate in their tenures. Brownback was the first conservative to say have had elected governor in fifty years. Mm-hmm. The Kansas politics had become has become more right wing in the past ten years, but really before the Brownback era, our politics was overwhelmingly moderate. In which party controlled the the the, the, the governor's mansion didn't really matter um, because it was either a really moderate Republican or a moderate Democrat. It, it, it really did not matter. But now we're to the point where the Democrats are sort of where the old Kansas Republicans were. Like Kelly is about where Graves is politically. Um, it just at the time Kansas Republicans could sit there comfortably in the middle. Now, now they can't. They don't have. They'll, they'll lose a prime. They, same way the Democratic no the Republican nominee who ran against Sebelius in 06, he ran in the Republican primary this year and got 9% of the vote. Mm. And think about it, he won his primary in like 2006 with like 40%. And he's, you know, he was a pretty moderate guy, you know, pro it. Like I, I, watched, I went to a forum where he participated. He was one of the, him and um, Tyler Rusick were the only two candidates that talked about um, expanding Medicaid. They were the only two candidates that mentioned legalization of medical marijuana. They were the only two candidates who really were pro-public education. And that's kind of like, except for the marijuana part, those were two, I mean, especially the pro-public education and, you know, reasonable, you know, and I think someone like Bill Graves, had he been governor, he would have expanded Medicaid, absolutely. Um, it's just like, anywhere, it shows how far the, the Republican Party has moved like Kansas was kind of one of the last states to get on board of the radicalization of the Republican Party. Yeah. Um, like we were kind of sitting there like the party of, you know, we had senators like Bob Dole and people like that and Nancy Kassebaum. And then we kind of moved out of that. And, now, you know, we had Robertson Brown back for a while. Now it's, you know, I always kind of tell this joke. Um, like cause Pat Roberts, I feel like he never does anything. Um, and that's kind of his, even the Republicans kind of say that about him sometimes, you know, yeah. he's like, you know, it's, Fourth term, he's almost ninety, but you know, in you know, like his office, like if you try to call his office, you know, for you know to for his opinion or to get you know to ask him not to vote on something, like you can't even get through most of the time. Like you wouldn't even talk to an office person, but if you call the Moran office, like Moran actually comes back to Kansas and you know actually will participate in local events, and he'll if you call his DC office, you can actually talk to somebody. Like yeah, I would never vote for Jerry Moran, but I have a lot more of respect for Jerry Ryan than I ever will for Pat Roberts. Right. That's just my little thing. It's like, I always say that if people want my opinions, like I actually like, like I really respect, Pat, uh, I really res- I respect Jerry Moran. I yeah. do not respect yeah. Robert. And he, when he ran for office in, when he ran for the Senate in 1996, he said he would never serve more than two terms. He's on his fourth and he may run for a fifth. Yeah. Now, He's like Chuck Raspley. It's like, um, yeah. Susan Collins. Two people, 
What? Susan Collins did the same thing. She said that she was going to run for two terms when she was running at first, and then she ended up, in 2008, she ran for a third term, and now she might run for a fifth. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. She may know she's going to lose, and she may decide because, you know, the, the, the Democrats have already raised a ton of money for whoever gets that nomination, so it's pretty much guaranteed she's done. I doubt she's able to hold on. I think that's pretty much a guaranteed pickup for the Democrats in 2020. Um, now, like almost... Sorry. Now, you, 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 you said earlier, you said that uh, you think that... that a lot of it had to do with uh, you, you, well, you said that Chris Kobach was a far right candidate. Do you think that this was a, in how you know it was a, you know before that Kansas often elected moderates? Do you think this was a refer a return to form sort of election? Like, do you think the voters wanted to go back to the time when there were moderate governors and moderate Democrats and moderate Republicans, which might be why they voted for Kelly? Um. I'm not sure about this because I've thought about this. Um, I think the ultimate question of this would have been if the election had been um, Governor Jeff Collier against Laura, against Laura Kelly. Because Collier, mm-hmm. despite – he's not a firebrand like Chris Kobach, but he's almost as conservative. Not quite, but almost. I think it really depends on what would have happened in that scenario. But, I mean, part of me wants to say yes. But then if you go look at the county map in, for, in full – the Democrats were pretty much only competitive in the urban areas, except for like two places, except for two counties, they were able to win that weren't that aren't in very urban areas. To to me, what this says is that I think some of it is just the changing of the moderate Republicans in the suburbs in the or in the urban parts. Because because even Wichita, which is the biggest city, has always kind of been seen as conservative. Um, I think that's changing. I think it's somewhat of a change in the cities because the Republican Party has gone too far right. And so a lot of, of those moderate Republicans in, this, in the suburbs and the cities are kind of just saying, we're Democrats now, or pretty much behaving like Democrats when they go vote, even if they still call themselves Republicans. Um, mm. for, for anything but local office, they're probably voting for, they're voting for Democrats. I think I want to see this in four years. I want to see if you know someone else, a conservative Republican, gets the nomination against Kelly. In 2022, I want to see how that works. Because if she's able to hold on, I think that really does say that we've kind of, we were able to fend off the far right. right. However, if, a, if, a, if someone as conservative as Kobach is able to win 2022, I think it was saying 2018 was just a really good year to be a Democrat and that there was just, everything was in Kelly's favor, which it was. Um, right. I don't think if you compare like the county map that she won with compared to like what Kathleen Sebelius won with, we'll never be able to, re- we'll, we'll never be able to relive the Kathleen Sebelius years when the Democrats could win in Kansas by 20 points. When yeah. Kathleen's biggest was probably 15 points, and she won her first election with eight, eight points. We will never have that again If it for a, for a Democrat. It's simply unimaginable because those rural voters behave so differently than they did even 15 years ago. Because, you know, in the Kathleen Sebelius era, not you know, 50, but 10 years ago, um, a lot of those people, they, of course, they would vote Republican for president, but they would be very interested in voting for Democrats at the state and local level. Mm-hmm. Um, and we used to have a lot more rural Democrats in the state legislature. That's actually one of the most interesting consequences of what just happened in the in the midterms locally, is that there were like five or six rural Democrats who lost their seats, but we picked it up in the suburban areas, so we didn't actually lose any. The Democrats didn't actually lose any seats in the state legislature, mm-hmm. but we lost a lot of our rural seats. Um, we were yeah. able to hold on to one. But there was one we thought we lost. We ended up winning by like ten votes. It was crazy. Um, yeah. But yeah. 
Now, one thing I want to move over really quickly to the the house races because there were some interesting things going on in the house. There were two seats in the house in Kansas that Democrats were targeting. Um, there was the one seat where that was an open seat. Uh, where Paul Davis, the candidate for governor four years ago, was trying to win. And then uh, there was Kevin Yoder's seat, which was won by Hillary Clinton narrowly in 2016, which Sherry's Davids, uh, who I believe is more progressive than Paul Davis was, uh, ended up winning. Now, Paul Davis lost, but Sherry's Davids won. Uh, do you think, what do you think, did Paul Davis do anything, was it anything that Paul Davis did right? Was it anything Sherry's Davids uh, or no, was there anything Paul Davis did wrong that led him to lose? Was there anything Sharice Davids did right that led her to winning? Is there something that Sharice Davids did right that Paul Davis did wrong, or was it completely out of Paul Davis's hands? Was there nothing he could do? Was it just a demographical thing? Was it just political gravity? What, what do you think happened that led Sharice Davids to win and Paul Davis to lose? I think, you know, we always... Sharice Davis was a phenomenal candidate. She, I think the one thing is Paul Davis, he is kind of known to back down. He never is known to take a firm, mm. like, yes, I believe this, and that's kind of his thing. Is like, when he ran for governor four years ago, they ran a, I think they ran it again this year, when he ran for Congress, they ran this stupid attack out against him that said, yes, when he was single in 25, he once went to a strip club. And the Republicans ran that ad and pretended to be all offended. They did it four years ago, and they did it again this year. And he was like, oh, I'm very sorry, you know, like, yeah. he didn't say, yeah, I was, you know, he should have said, no, I was 25 and single, of course I went to a strip club. Yeah, so he's kind of seen as weak, and then other stuff like that, like, there was one thing and, you know, of course, like, Cerise Davis, I think, was more on the healthcare issue because Paul Davis was like, yeah, he, he always used his personal experience with, like, his, his mother, which is a sad story about what happened to his mother. But um, he, he would never say single payer. He wouldn't say Medicare for all. He wouldn't say any the liberal thing. You know, he wouldn't do say anything like Slipo-based. He was like, cut prescription drug prices, you know, the 2006 Democrat stuff. Like, he still pretends it's 10, 15 years ago when he runs. He still runs as a moderate because he pretends, yeah, that district has the two liberal cities, Topeka and Lawrence in it, but also has a lot of rural Kansas in it. I think had he honestly run as a more abashed progressive and said, yeah, no, I want to legalize marijuana, I want to get, I want to get everybody health care, uh, you know, stuff like that, I think that what I think he would have won. But he doesn't know how to run. He knows what he thinks he's running 10 years ago. Mm. Um, and the you know, race was completely winnable. It was within two points. And he was leaving for much of the night. Then when he, when he took his, when he lost his lead, I knew he was done because the rural counties are always the last to come right. in. And all the cities have come in. I knew he was, I'm like, come on, Paul. I mean, I wanted him to win, even though he's, he's, he's just not a good candidate. He's not, a, when you hear him speak, there's nothing. It's like, okay. I mean, I'm, I care about politics. So, you know, I, I would always be interested, but you know, I can imagine an average person if they like went to one of his events and, and you know, just goes in one year out the other. And I'm not trying to offend Paul Davis. It's just, he's not an electrifying speaker. He is not, he was a smart guy. He was a good state legislator. Uh, he was good in the state legislator, and I see why he would run for Congress or run for governor. He's just his campaigning skills are not as good as his legislating skills. He, I don't think he knows how to match the two, which is which is a shame. He would have been a good congressman, and I did support him. And it was always kind of like just, he was. I think it's kind of the you know after this and after the governor, you know, he's kind of known as the guy who can always almost win an election. I think had we run, there are some people that we could have run that would have had a much better shot at picking up that seat. Um, 
we need to find someone more progressive, but that also really know how to appeal to rural voters. Because even though Paul Davis you know, campaigned in all the rural areas, but I think that's why I thought he might be able to win, because he was trying to do that, trying to get some rural outreach. He was doing a lot of, his campaign machine was doing everything right. It's just mm. he's an electrifying candidate. The fact, though, that I'm still shocked he lost, even though he's a mediocre candidate, because Steve Watkins was a horrible candidate. I'm yeah. still shocked he lost that race. That is one of the few races I was actually shocked by. Even Not because I wanted him to win so bad. It's because the other candidate was horrible, and he was just okay. And that district was looking close enough, or he was ahead in most of the polls. I'm like, okay, there's no way Paul Davis yeah. is going to lose. Now, um, and then we ended up losing. Now, Steve so like, Watkins... Yeah. Now, Steve Watkins, he was... He, he was... I believe he was a war veteran. Do you think... And he was young... Do you think he was able to kind of use that to his advantage? You know, he, I think that might have been what pushed him over the line, but there was a lot of scandal around him because his his father pretty much bought the primary for him. It was like a six-way primary because the incumbent was mm. um, leaving, and his dad spent like a million dollars to buy the primary for him. It was kind of a scandal, but the Republicans decided to get behind him. Um, and then after the primary, and then even though he won the primary with like twenty five percent or thirty percent, some really low number. Um, now, and so he was. Oh, sorry. So he was kind of just there, um, and he's and like he had Steve Bannon come to take up for him, and kind of had some. You know, he tried to insinuate he was endorsed by Trump even though Trump did not endorse him. Like, he sent out a mailer that said, you know, Steve Watkins is with Trump and had a picture of, like, him put next to Trump, even though Trump never endorsed Steve Watkins. So, I mean, he tried to pull some sleazy tactics, and I think that might have been what worked. Um, um, now, one more question before we get into the news. Um, uh, one really important uh, role in Kansas is the Secretary of Agriculture race. Uh, or not, it's not a race, but it's, I believe, the sec- yeah, the Secretary of Agriculture is appointed by the governor. Um, yes. Now, if you could recommend uh, some uh, somebody to Laura Kelly, or is there anybody you, you would have in mind who could be Secretary of Agriculture that you would recommend to Laura Kelly, who you think would do a really good job in that role? Well, I think my answer is obvious to anyone who knows me. Um, this is... I would recommend one of the candidates who ran in the primary. He was the former Secretary of Agriculture, um, Joshua Swati. He was the state rep from, like, what, oh, I want to say 03 to 09, and then he resigned to serve as the interim um, department, um, head of the Department of Agriculture. Um, he did a good job. He's very knowledgeable in that area. Um, I think it would be, and I think it would be a great way to kind of mend the, the you know, whatever sort of divide happened during the primary is appointing him to the to the agriculture department if he wants it. Um, he definitely, you know, is still interested in politics, you know, as he ran for governor this year. So I think that if, if I had been elected, he would have been the first person I called uh, to, about getting that job filled. Um, but, you know, to find anyone else, I, I admittedly don't know anyone else, but that would definitely be who I would have asked. So. Mm. All right. Why don't we get into some of the uh, news stories uh, so first of all, the first news story we have this week comes out of Arizona. So Kristen Cinema has officially been declared uh, the winner 
of the Arizona Senate race. Now, she will be the first female senator going to Washington. Either way, if McSally had won, she would have been the first female senator from Arizona, but it is still a milestone. So Kristen Sinema is the first female senator from uh, Arizona. She's the Democrat. This is the it's been a long time since uh, Arizona has had a Democrat represent them in the U.S. Senate. Um, back in night, there was one up until 1994. Um, uh, I think at that time, John Kyle, I believe, uh, won that race during the Republican Revolution. Uh, and ever since then, there's never been a Democratic uh, senator represent that state. But that changes today. Or that changes now because Kristen Cinema has been declared the winner. So, what are your thoughts on this, and what do you think Kristen Cinema did right that put her over the top? I think Kristen Cinema was a moderate candidate, you know, because Arizona is in a more conservative state. And I think she was, um, even though sometimes I think that even running more progressive candidates, like I think had we been a more progressive candidate in the Kansas second race, we could have won. I think there are sometimes, especially in statewide races, where it's smarter to run a more moderate candidate. And I think Arizona is one of those states where it's, it's going to be better for the Democrats to nominate moderate candidates because you can see the discrepancy between the Senate race and the governor race. Um, the governor candidate was very um, pretty liberal. Um, David Garcia, whilst Chris Cinema has known for being a pretty moderate congresswoman and kind of portrayed that in her Senate campaign. So I think it just depends on the state. Um, I kind of wish she would have because she'd kind of been campaigning as a, I'm not sure, she definitely would have been, would have been, she's going to be one of the more conservative Democrats in Congress, probably not as conservative as someone like Joe Manchin. Yeah. Uh, but now with the loss of people like Donnelly and Heitkamp and McCaskill, she's going to be up there as one of the most conservative Democrats in the Senate, um, which is an advantage because there, there are advantages to that as um, it kind of allows a, a wider breadth, a wider uh, breadth of um, views within the Democratic Party and kind of allows um, for for more people to feel comfortable within the Democratic Party, as well as I think, you know, regardless of how moderate she is as a Democrat, um, any Republican that would have filled that seat, someone like McSally, who was kind of more seen as more of someone who is in line with Trump, um, is going to be much better because, you know, she right. is responsible for those Trump appointments. She's not going to you know, be fighting for stuff like border wall. Um, so I think, she, and she's, you know, coming off that she probably wouldn't have fought, voted for the tax cuts. So, you know, replacing someone who, I mean, Jeff Flake, I kind of always viewed him as a fake moderate. You know, he, I think he more disagreed with Trump on his style and his right. decorum than on actually policy. Kirsten Cinema is actually going to disagree with him on policy. So we're replacing a fake moderate with a real moderate, which mm. makes me happy, even though I don't necessarily agree with the Kirsten Cinema you know, that kind of where she sits in the Democratic Party. I'd much rather someone like her sit in that seat than someone like Jeff Blake, who's just pretending. I think she actually believes her moderate positions, unlike Jeff Blake. I don't know what he believes. Kind of flip-flopping, you know, just trying to look like some valiant hero, even though I don't think he is. Chris Sinnoh is actually going to, you know, she's standing up for what she believes in, and I'm excited to see that um, in the Senate. All right. Well, the next news story, obviously, every time there's a midterm, the very next day they talk about the next presidential election. And th this this year is no exception because uh, people are already talking about the potential of a President Brown, a President Sherrod Brown, that is. Uh, speculation and reports this week 
have come out that the Ohio senator who won re-election two weeks ago is now gearing up to run for the presidency in 2020. What are your thoughts on Sherrod Brown potentially running in 2020? And do you think he would be a good choice for president? Uh, and do you think he could beat Trump? I think Sherrod Brown would be one of the better picks for president. I can understand why that there needs to be, at least on the ticket, if not at the top of the ticket, definitely um, vice president that is from the Midwest Rust Belt states, and ideally one of the senators. And I really think Sherrod Brown or Tammy Baldwin or Amy Klobuchar need to be on the ticket. One of those three people need to be on the ticket in 2020. Um, because the Rust Belt was the one area the Democrats had a weakness in because, you know, Hillary Clinton was campaigning. I mean, she might have been faking it, but she was, you know, known for being pro-NAFTA, um, not really against outsourcing. She wasn't, you know, she went to West Virginia and pretty much said, you know, to have coal, which you can't do that. Yes, we need to, you know, we need to move towards renewable energies, but we also need to retrain people that are in the coal industry. She wasn't saying that. She was like, damn it all the hell. Um, so, you know, I think, so people like Hillary Clinton are the exact wrong people we need to be nominating. Um, so, you know, if it, you know, Sherrod Brown or Amy Klobuchar are probably my two picks, or even Tammy Baldwin, for either president or vice president. Mm. Um, I think yeah. Brown would be a good pick. I think he's going to have trouble getting through a primary. For yeah. one reason and one reason only. Mm-hmm. He looks progressive and he acts it, especially on the trade stuff, which is where I really like him. And I think that's what would give him an, a humongous edge in the Rust Belt. And possibly even in some of like the new South states like like North Carolina and possibly Florida. Um, but I think if you I've looked at his voting record is, you know, he did vote against the Medicare for all bill in the Senate. And that is going to hurt him at a primary. I think the party base is looking for someone like Bernie Sanders, at least on the health care issue, especially. Uh, he needs to come out in support of some of those really liberal positions. And if he does, he's going to, he might do well in the primary. Uh, because, you know, he can say, yes, I'm from a state that voted for Trump and I stick up to him. I think that that will be effective rhetoric. Mm. Now, I, I do think he has a shot. I just don't know what it, what it would ta- I just think he, he, I'm glad he's running because we need more, um, you know, I want more progressive. You know, we, we want to have a lot of progressive voices in the race. We don't. We don't want the progressive voice to be drowned out right. by the by the by the establishment moderate wing. I do make a discrepancy between the establishment and the moderate wing. There is technically a difference because there is one moderate candidate that ran in twenty sixteen that I wish would run again. He's my favorite guy ever, Jim Webb. Um, like I actually supported Jim Webb. He was the first candidate I actually was for him before I was for Bernie Sanders, and then I got behind Bernie Sanders because Jim Webb dropped out. Um, now, one thing people have been saying about Sherrod Brown that they've said against Sherrod Brown is the idea that uh, one thing that they've said is that if Sherrod Brown uh, were to uh, win, um, or he would resign, uh, and then the incoming governor, uh, Mike DeWine, who's a Republican, would have to appoint his replacement. He'd probably appoint a Republican. So that would mean, let's say Democrats in 2020 in the Senate, they pick up Arizona. That gets them to, uh, if, if they win in Florida, that gets them to 48. Uh, if they pick up Colorado, that gets them to 49. If they pick up Maine, uh, that gets them to 50. Uh, if they, uh, might, if they, uh, Let's say they pick up Georgia, uh, that gets them to 51, then they'd get a majority, but then if they lose in Alabama, then they'd have to pick up 
North Carolina, and that would get them back to 51. But then if um, if uh, if they lose Ohio, that brings them down to 50-50, and then it depends upon which Democrat wins. Do you think that that's a serious concern or no? I, I think that is the one reason why I've been leaning against picking him for vice president, because, you know, the vice president is not that important of a position. And I think I would much more rather lean towards Amy Klobuchar for vice president mm. if Sherrod Brown is, is not the nominee. But for president, however, I think it is being elected president is such, you know, an honor that it is a, I, it does not matter. Um, if we lose, a, if the Democrats lose a seat in the Senate, I, for me, it does, yes. I mean, I would rather that not be the situation. Um, but I think, honestly, I'm not going to say he's a bad person for running because that would happen if you won or, you know, that, he, that I think it is also likely that the Democrats, I think, will make enough gains if the 2020 election is anything like the 2018 election. Um, I, um, it is completely possible that the Republic, um, that um, that the Senate goes enough for the Democrats because um, I think there's a chance that Iowa could go for the Democrats. Um, mm. Joni Ernst is a conservative, really conservative, even for Iowa. I think she's going to be a liability. 2014 was a good year to be a Republican, especially in a state like Iowa. 2020, not so much. I mean, even though the governor's race, they barely go for the Republican. Um, three out of the four House seats are now held by Democrats in Iowa. Mm. Um I would watch out if I was Joni Ernst. That should make her very nervous. The fact, and J.D. Shelton only lost by two points. So there was no safe Republican House seat in Iowa this year. Um, I would be very concerned if I was Joni Ernst. I, I would be frightened um, because she is not a moderate. If she was a moderate, like, you know, if she if she was beloved, like, is like someone like Chuck Grassley, wouldn't worry about it. She's only been, she's only been a senator for six years. And that's, and that's going to be, I think, definitely the Democratic presidential candidate will probably win Iowa, um, more than likely. Mm. Um, and that person is not Hillary Clinton or Cory Booker, one of those really establishing people. Um, but if it's anyone who actually stands up to Trump, he'll lose, he'll win because the farming, the, the fiasco going on with the, with the, with the uh, soy, the soybeans especially, um, with the tariffs that is making people in Iowa and Nebraska and Kansas very nervous. I don't see Nebraska or Iowa going, Nebraska or Kansas going to a Democrat necessarily. Though I think the Kansas Senate race, I would watch out. Um, I'm just saying the Democrats are planning on making that competitive. Um, and there are, and we're probably going to have a pretty big primary like we did for the governor race. We're probably going to have a lineup of wanting to run against Pat Roberts. Um, I think that race may be competitive, which is, just doesn't happen in a Kansas Senate race. Like that would be a big deal if it's even within ten points, um, which is great. You know, as a Democrat, it's like, yeah, let's make Kansas competitive, so the Republicans are forced to come in and defend it. Um, so you know, then the Democrats can spend, you know, can, can have a better shot at winning something like Iowa because we're forcing the Republicans to play defense, um, which I think, the, which is the brilliance. Same way, I, I think Billy Sutton might be running for senator in South Dakota. Now that he, he barely lost for governor this year, and he might barely lose the Senate race, but again, it would divert, you know, it would force Republicans to spend money in places they didn't want to spend money in. Um, mm. They have no intention of spending money in South Dakota and Kansas. Absolutely not. Uh, they did, they'd have to win the governor races this year, but then, like, the Senate races, they behave differently. I think that's 
one of those two races will be competitive. Um, I'm, I'm convinced of it. If we get, especially if we get the right candidates, I think South Dakota pretty much would only be competitive with Billy Sutton. Um, but I think Kansas is going to be competitive with a couple different people who might be running. Uh, um, now, some people are saying that uh, Democrats would have to run the ta- would essentially have to run the table if they want to win the Senate. They'd have to win like five or six seats to take back the Senate, assuming that Doug Jones goes down in Alabama, unless Doug Jones survives in Alabama, in which case they'd still need to win four seats. Um, do you think that Democrats could, if Doug Jones does go down in Alabama, do you think Democrats could gain five or six seats? Can you actually give me a second? Because I actually want to, I'm going to look it up. Like, I'm going to look at the computer. Like, I look at okay. the map. Because I, I had to get new batteries for my mouse. My mouse okay. Because I, I had 270. It pulled up, but of course my mouse died. So, right. you Because know, um, right now what I've heard is that Democrats, they, they have a really, really good, they're probably going to pick up Colorado because co- unless something like really, really tremendous happens, like unless Democrats get a Roy Moore-like candidate, they're probably going to win in Colorado because that's becoming more safely Democratic especially after this election. So that would be a pickup for them. Arizona is going to be an open election, so they could win there. Um, and then they might be able to pick up Maine. And then the, the two other seats they would, they're targeting right now are, uh, are uh, North Carolina and Georgia because they, North Carolina is kind of a swing-ish state. It's Republican-ish, but it's typically close during presidential elections. Um, so they think they could defeat Tom Tillis. And then David Perdue, they think they can take down in Georgia, seeing as Stacey Abrams made it so close. Um, but if, now they only need four of those seats if Doug Jones can win. But if Doug Jones loses, then that's a 50-50 tie. So either they'd have to rely on a Democrat winning the presidency so they can break the tie, or they could try and target another place. I'm looking at the map now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are a few states I think the Democrats will win without a problem. So let's assume that the Senate will be 53-47 going into this election. Mm-hmm. I think my gut instinct tells me I think Jones can hold on. I do think Jones can hold on. Um, you, oh, Doug Jones? Yes, I do think he can hold on. That is my speculation. Um, the the fact that he was able to win in the first place is a miracle, and I kind of, you know, I kind of see him, you know, not politically, but kind of as a Trump. He's, I think, he's going to be able to outbeat expectations at every turn. I think everyone else would be writing him off. I'm not. Um, he was able to. I think the political base in that state was galvanized after his victory. I think. Even though we didn't see it so much in the statewide races this year, just because I think they had a popular Republican incumbent governor, stuff like that, they didn't really have to. I think that at the very least is going to be a close race. That is not going to be written off. I mean, of course, if if the when the election's closer and there's there's polls showing from down twenty points, I'll happily change that opinion. But um, I think I think he's going to have a fight of his life. I yeah. think it's going to be it's going to be hard. But I think the climate, even in Alabama, is going to be favorable enough. Not really, but just favorable enough. I think he could squeak out a victory. Um, I wouldn't, you know, almost as a Democrat, I wouldn't plan. I wouldn't plan on it. Like I would definitely prepare battle maps that don't include Alabama. Um, 
but I don't think it's going to be a 60-40 blowout like we saw in the governor race this year. I do not think it'll be that. I think if he'll lose by 10, he'll, he'll at least get 45%. Yeah. Um, he'll be able to kind of, I hope he, I wish he didn't, I kind of wish he didn't have to run for re-election until, like, you know, 2024. Like, he, had, he got a six-year term because, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I think some of the stuff like voting against Kavanaugh, that might hurt him. Right. Um, that he made the right decision morally, but it might hurt him in election. But yeah, I, they're, I, saying, they're saying that it might be the Height Camp or the McCaskill or the Donnelly effect where they vote no on Kavanaugh and then they end up losing. I don't believe that was a reason any one of them lost. Um, I could say maybe for Heidi, but I think there are other reasons for that. Um, Joe Donnelly was an atrocious candidate. The fact that he won in 2012, I mean, Joe Donnelly kind of got in the same way Doug Jones got in, except Joe Donnelly was is atrocious. Um, like, barely a Democrat. Like, if, did you see those ads he ran this year? Oh, he yeah. Was pretend, he was pretty much, he was pretty much saying, I'm, I'm like, yes, I'm a Democrat, but I like the Republicans. Like, literally, that, 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 that shows... He was not advocating for his positions. If you give them the cho- if people give you the you know if you're given the choice of Republican or Republican light, you're going to go with Republican. I think that was the choice given to people in Indiana and in Missouri. You know, you know there were ads in Missouri saying Claire McCaskill isn't one of those crazy Democrats, and people were like, oh, okay, I'll just vote for the actual Republican. Yeah. Um, so if Doug, if Doug Jones stands up and says, no, I'm a Democrat and I fight for Alabama, you know, if he does that. I think he might be able to win. Maybe not. I could be wrong. I could say that um, it just was the nature of his first election that mm. meant he was. Uh, I don't know. I, I want to see that one. But I, I actually would say North Carolina, given that they do have a Democratic governor right now, he, he, he was elected in the closest sphere possible, and it did go to Obama in 08. I think North Carolina will probably go Democratic for the Senate race. I think I think Iowa will go Democratic. I think Colorado will go Democratic. I think okay. I'm gonna make a list. Iowa one, North Carolina two, Maine three. That would be fifty fifty. Um, Arizona. I tell you. Do you think Arizona could? Sure. You're not sure. I, I'm not sure about Arizona. Um, even though Kirsten Cinema won. I want to see how Arizona behaves during a presidential year. Yeah. Well, they're I, saying they're saying right now they're saying that uh, right one thing Doug Ducey is considering right now is John Kyle is thinking about re- resigning early and he's going to make the excuse that oh well I just came in because Arizona was struggling they were they were railing with the death of John McCain but now I you know I've done my time I'm going to retire and then. Doug uh, Doug Ducey is going to appoint Martha McSally to that seat so that she'll be the incumbent come 2020, and then it'll be harder for a Democrat to defeat an incumbent. Definitely, and I think I want to see what happens with that. Um, running against John Kyle? or I, I mean, if I was a Democrat, I would rather be running against Martha McSally, actually. Well, Kyle um, isn't going to run. He said that run. if he makes it to 2020, he's going to retire. Okay, I see what. Okay, so that's an interesting point. I think it's again a state that is changing and has kind of just changed. I think is changing in a fundamental way that we don't know how it's going to behave in twenty twenty. I think that states like North Carolina, it states like Iowa, like 
we just don't know how that electorate is going to behave. I'm like, we usually could predict that. Like, we can't anymore. And just everything's kind of shifted. I would say does that would be an interesting possibility for the Democrats. If it's an open seat, like it was this year, mm-hmm. I would I would feel good about it. Like, I would I would like to be in that position. I don't know if, if that's going to happen, though. And if, and if it ended up being the incumbent McSally versus... The hard thing is, I can't think of someone else in Arizona who would run for senator. That's the hardest thing, is I can't think of someone else who has, right. like, the... Like, Cinema was the one person who had kind of the stature, like, the, the name recognition to get out there. I'm not yeah. from Arizona. I could be wrong. The thing is, the Democrats are going to have to find somebody. There are, I think, another couple of Democratic members yeah. of Congress. It had to be one of the members of Congress from Arizona. Most I- definitely. I've heard um, right now. I've heard right now that they're going to get a. Right now, they're looking at a former Republican because there's a guy named Terry Goddard who was the former Attorney General. He was a Republican Attorney General, and he was good friends with John McCain. But he and he was one of John McCain's closest friends. But they said that he was a really, really liberal Republican. Like he was like a, a Rockefeller Republican when he was in office, and he ended up supporting Hillary Clinton in 2016. So the rumor is that he's gearing up to run as a Democrat uh, against uh, a Republican in 2020, and he's going to try and, because he was a friend of John McCain's, he, he thinks he could gear himself up as a good candidate, and he could maybe like run, run that in ads and say, oh, well, I worked with John McCain when I was Attorney General. John McCain was a great man, and yada, yada. Because that's kind of how Scott Brown won in a blue state like Massachusetts, is he kind of ran on this idea that he was sort of like Ted Kennedy. He kind of linked himself to the Kennedys. And because people were kind of railing from the loss of Ted Kennedy at that time, people, a lot of moderate Democrats, uh, ended up uh, being attracted towards Scott Brown. And that's an interesting point, but I think we're seeing that Cinema was a good candidate. I think people right. like former Republicans... Even if he was actually a moderate, like actually like a Rockefeller Republican, I still think that's going to be hard for the base to swallow in a primary. Even if he's a good general candidate, which I should think someone like that could be a good general candidate for the Democrats. Mm. Um, I think Arizona is going to be competitive in presidential race that I'm convinced of. Um, But based on how close it was in 2016, it's only been getting closer. Ever since I waited, it's been getting closer. Um... And what? Bill Clinton won it in 96. I, I think that state will go. Either will go to the Democrats in the presidential race or will be close. a swing state. Yeah. I think Texas is going to be remarkably close in the Senate race, in the governor, in the presidential race, not in the Senate race. Yeah. Given that, Ted, he's, that the incumbent in 2020 is not the political liability that Ted Cruz was. Right. Um, so, but the presidential race is likely to be very close. Um. Mm. Is I think that is going to end up being tight. Yeah. Um, well, I want to. I want. I want to. I want to wrap this up real quickly so we can get to the next story. But uh, is there anything else you want to say before we move on? No, I just think that the Democrats need to find good candidates at all these in the races that might be competitive, especially Arizona, mm. North North Carolina, Georgia, Iowa, and Maine. Those are the states. If I was the Democrat, if I was the DSCC, I would be like, "Those are the states we're going to focus on." And then I would say, pick either pick either Kansas, South Dakota, or 
Alaska and run a, and run Mark Bake, Billy Sutton, or one of the few people in Kansas that might run, right. and pick one of those three states and target it. Right. I, I think we can win one of those three states. Those one of those three will go to the Democrats if they're smart and target one of them. Um, I don't know which one's most winnable. Part of me thinks Alaska. Part of me thinks Kansas. Um, this is based on why on I mean, the fact that Democrats won a statewide in Kansas this year kind of makes Kansas look more appealing. Um, but given that Alaska elected a Democratic senator in 08, most recently, given that Kansas last elected a Democratic senator in like the 30s. Um, yeah, 39 so was the last just, time they had a Democratic senator. Yeah, Kansas was 32. Yeah. So in Alaska, they... They elected Mark Begich in 08, so they've had one most recently. Yeah. So part of me thinks Begich could maybe win again a, a, yeah. a second term in that seat. <laughs> well, why don't we move on? So um, this week there was this whole crazy kerfuffle about Jim Acosta and uh, the press pass because there was a video that came out where he was essentially confronting Trump during Trump's uh, press response to the 2018 midterms. Uh, a woman tried to take the mic out of Acosta's hands. Acosta kind of, like, pushed her away. Um, and uh, Trump tried to say that he was, uh, that he was, you know, he was really, really, that was really out of line. And because of that reason, the White House revoked his press pass. However, many people accused the White House of only doing that because they didn't like Jim Acosta and because they were, and some people viewed it as an attack on the press uh, and recently, um, uh, Jim Acosta, his press pass, uh, temporarily got reinstated. So what are your thoughts on this? Do you, do you think that what Jim Acosta did was out of line? Um, and, uh, or do you think it's an attack on the press? What are your thoughts? I definitely think that what the White House did was an attack on the press. And honestly, I don't think what Acosta did was out of line. I think we need more aggressive journalism. You know, like in the 1900s, we had the mudrakers who really did turn up a lot of government corruption. We need stuff like that again. We need aggressive journalism. And I don't care if they go after Democrats or Republicans. It's just we need to undercover all corruption in the government. And so people like Acosta are doing that. And I think that needs to be um, it needs to be um, supported. The public should be behind that. And um, the White House should have no... It should, they should have had the, but they should have had better conscience than to do what they did in revoking that because that made them look bad, um, and they should have known it was going to do that. And I actually find that interesting that a Trump appointed judge kind of said to the White House, "No, you have to reinstate this." Um, pretty much saying it, what they did had violated the First Amendment. So, mm. all right, why don't we uh, move on to um, Kevin McCarthy? So this week, Kevin McCarthy was elected the minority leader for the Republicans come January. He will uh, become their minority leader. Uh, it is still in the air. There's a big giant question mark about who will be the next speaker for the Democrats. Right now, it's seemingly going to be Nancy Pelosi, but I've heard a couple other names thrown around. There hasn't been any real, real, like there hasn't been one single person that's been named as a challenger for Pelosi. It's just been a, a bunch of different people. I've heard there's a congressman here in my state named Hakeem Jeffries. Some people want him to be the, uh, to, to take over. Uh, some people want, uh, I believe her name was, oh, I can't remember what her name was. Um, uh, oh, uh, I think it was something fudge. I think there was Congresswoman fudge. They want her to be 
uh, in. And then there, I think Barbara Lee, some people want Barbara Lee to take over. So right now it definitely seems like uh, there are a lot of uh, people of color that, uh, that, they, that they would like the, uh, to be the next speaker. Uh, so definitely a lot of people want more diversity when it comes to the next speaker. Um, but uh, none of that matters right now because uh, Kevin McCarthy has been elected the minority leader for the Republicans. He easily took down uh, uh, Jim Jordan, the Ohio congressman who was hoping to challenge him. He was running on a, on a more conservative base. Uh, but Kevin McCarthy, who's more moderate-ish, has been elected. He's from California. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think this was a smart move for Republicans? I think... I mean, Kevin McCarthy was the next person in line for, um, for, the, top, for the top leadership position. So I'm not shocked by the decision by the, by the Republicans. I do think that Kevin McCarthy is kind of one of the better picks. Um, definitely not like a firebrand like Paul Ryan. He's going to be more quiet, going to kind of kind of retreat attention from the House Republicans, which is what they're going to want. Um, I think it's going to be a safe pick. I, I would. I think he would be an interesting speaker um, if the if the, when the Republicans get back the majority. Um, I want to see if he ends up staying around long enough to serve as speaker. Right. Um, so I, th- I think he would be. I don't know if he'd be a good speaker. I think he's going to be kind of good at the minority leader job because right now all the Republicans should want is to kind of be distanced from Trump, and and that allows that. I think because right now the House Republicans pretty much should like if they want to have any chance of not losing more seats in twenty twenty, they need to pretty much say. We're not with Trump. I mean, but the part of them that, that then that makes them really, really susceptible to to uh, primaries. So they have to be really careful. But right. that makes kind of stand quiet. And they could alienate their base too. Like their base might not like right now in this past governor's race in New York. Not really. Not a lot of people expected Cuomo to lose. But we had a Republican here named Mark Molinaro, who. It, one of the who was a terrible candidate because he was not comfortable in his own skin. He was the type of candidate who he would like always try to like dodge questions about Trump. Like he would like never try and answer questions about Trump because he knew upstate he had a lot of re- really conservative Republicans that liked Trump, but he and he didn't want to alienate those people. He wanted those people to turn out for him, but at the same time if he wanted to get some of the independents, some of the liberal-leaning independents on board, he needed to seem more moderate-ish. And if he said he supported Trump, then uh, he'd automatically turn them off. But at the same time, if he said he didn't like Trump and he was against Trump, then he would turn off his base upstate. So you got this guy who was essentially playing a balancing act, uh, and it re- I think it really hurt him in the election. So that could probably hurt them too. Um, now, do you think uh, Kevin McCarthy could be more like a John Boehner or more like a Paul Ryan type of minority leader? I think he's going to prove to be a more emotionally stable John Boehner. Um, John Boehner was not emotionally stable, but um, I think Kevin McCarthy's kind of going to try to toe the party line. He's not going to try to say anything that's... Um, I, mean, I think... Because John Boehner was very much just like standard Republican, Paul Ryan would try to you know be more, you know, new age and try to you know 
if he, of course he would be really you know conservative, but he you know kind of tried to evoke this image you know well you know people like Trump being are pretty much like standard Republicans, so I think it's just more of an interest of image. And so I think Kevin McCarthy is kind of going to bring the the Republican leadership back just to like nothing like everything like we've always seen it. Interesting. So why don't we move on to Michael Avenatti's really, really not so great week. So Michael Avenatti was arrested. Uh, that was the that was the big story. He was arrested for uh, allegedly uh, for allegedly domestic violence. Uh, he he was suspected of that. Um, There's a bit of evidence to prove that. Well, there was I think there was. There was some evidence to prove it, but there's no there right now. It's not set in stone whether he did it or not. Um, but he is claiming he did not. Um, that was one problem, I guess. Also, it was recently reported that uh, his um, his place was evicted, or his his law firm was evicted this week. Um, and to make matters worse, a because po- right now he is considering he's mulling a run for a potential run. For the Democratic nomination in 2020, uh, a poll was taken out uh, recently by CNN showing which Democrats would like to, w- would be the favorites for the nomination. Beto O'Rourke and Joe Biden topped the list. Uh, Michael Avenatti got zero percent. So, what were your thoughts on the allegations against Avenatti, uh, and what were your thoughts on his not so great week? I mean, I've never been a big fan of him. I think he's kind of just a huckster, just someone trying to take advantage of the Democratic base's hate for Trump. Um, so I've never been a fan of him, but I do think it looks more and more like, standing with the accusations against Bob Mueller, that it was more than likely a political hack, mm-hmm. um, more like a political stunt. I don't think he... I would be shocked. Of course, we want an investigation, but he's very he's acting pretty good. He's acting like he's innocent. He's asked, he's asked for an investigation. Unlike what we saw with Brett Kavanaugh, he's like, yes, did, um, Brett mm-hmm. Kavanaugh, yes, I want an investigation. I think that alone t- makes me very believe he's not guilty. I'll see what the investigation comes out and says if there is one. But I would be very shocked if he was the one who did it. Um, I'm not going to take his word, but I'm also like, everything's looking like he didn't do it. Um, but I would, I don't, I would never support it for president. Unless he, I mean, if for some reason he was the nominee against Trump, I, I would have to. But yeah, um, definitely, I would not support him in the primaries. Um, like he's just a huckster. He's not. He's not. I don't think he actually cares. He just wants to be. He wants his fifteen minutes of fame. Or if he was the president, he wants to be famous for like two years. And then everyone's once, once the election cycle's over, no one's gonna remember who he is. Once he's all done, once Trump's gone, no one's gonna no one's gonna remember him. Unlike people like Bernie Sanders, who are going, even if they don't, if, even if he never ends up becoming president, will kind of be seen as an immortal figure in this time in the Democratic Party. Um, I think that's the major difference. I mean, but it's so interesting just to look at how many people are lining up to run. Like there was like, yeah. Do you think there's going to be a kiddie table debate like with the Republicans, where they said, okay, here are the top ten candidates. And then they had all the other candidates at like a four o'clock debate and there was like an empty arena and they just had like all the lesser known candidates like Rick Perry and Rick Santorum and George Pataki and Jim Gilmore. Do you think it could be like that with the Democrats in 2020? I think the first few debates are definitely going to be like that. I think there are going to be – there are some candidates who are saying they're going to run or, or a millennial run who I think – and this is interesting because there was no one who did this on the Republican side. There was one candidate in particular who I believe this about. 
they are going to start running for president. They're going to, you know, campaign in Iowa and New Hampshire. They're going to try to, but they have no intention of going past the, of the caucus or maybe the New Hampshire primary. They have every intention of dropping out after one of the big primaries after they don't do so good, but after they got their name out there and spread their message and then go run for a statewide office in their home state after they got their name out there and after they got some press. Um, I believe this is for good reasons and because they have some good things to say, but there are a couple candidates who may run who I believe this about. Um, I'm not going to say who they are because I like them, but I do think that is a couple of the motive of a couple candidates. Interesting. Um, um, and just kind of setting the stage for a possible 2024 or 2028 run. Interesting. Well, why don't we move on to the Kentucky governor's race? So that's going to be one of three governor's races next year. Not a lot of people tend to take a look at those uh, governor's races every four years because they're, they typically are in off years and typically they're in overwhelmingly Republican states, uh, Kentucky, uh, uh, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Um, and unsurprisingly, both Mitt Romney and Donald Trump won these states overwhelmingly in 2016 and 2012. But they're all, they are looking to be very interesting this year because all three of them could be competitive. Um, and one of them has a Democratic incumbent. But I want to focus on Kentucky because there was some news coming out of there this week. So for those who don't know, Matt Bevin, the Republican governor of Kentucky, is up for re-election next year. Um, and he is one of the most unpopular governors in the entire country. Um, so this makes him kind of a dark horse candidate going into 2019. Um, now it's looking like this could be a very open field of democratic candidates. We, at first it looked like it might just be a mono on mono, uh, between him and, uh, state attorney general and for, and son of former go- governor Steve Bashir, Andy Bashir, uh, but um, he, um, who has said he will run. He's been in for a couple months now. But now it is looking like the field of candidates is widening up because right now Rocky Adkins, the minority leader in the Kentucky House of Representatives, has confirmed uh, he will run uh, for the Democratic nomination for governor. Um, and now, so he's in, uh, Andy Bashir's in, and now there's some other, there's some talks that the former audit, state auditor might run. They're saying Allison Lundergan Grimes, the Secretary of State of Kentucky, who ran against Mitch McConnell unsuccessfully for the Senate in 2014, might run. They're even saying that Amy McGrath, uh, apparently Amy McGrath's people are telling her that it would be a politically savvy move for her to run for governor of the state of Kentucky. What are your thoughts on Rocky Adkins getting in? Uh, and what are your thoughts on some of these other names potentially getting in? And do you think it's going to be a crowded field to try and unseat Matt Bevin? And do you think Republicans have a chance of losing here? You know, as we've seen with Kansas, an unpopular governor attracts a large field on the other side to unseat them. Um, we're seeing the same thing happen in Kentucky. Um, do you know Matt Bevin's approval numbers? Um, 30-something. Let me see. Oh, he's, he's vulnerable. He's vulnerable to a primary challenge. Yeah. He needs to watch out. He needs to watch out. Now, I think he's He's a... He's a pretty conservative Republican, 
but he is endorsed by Mitch McConnell, so that might, he, he kind of has the establishment and the grassroots on his side in terms of the Republican base. But yeah, his he, his approval, not only is it in the 30s, I think it's in the low 30s. If I was a Democrat, I would, even if I had no name recognition, even if I was like a state senator, I'd be like, I'm running for governor. Like, yeah, um... Who wouldn't run for governor in this political climate at this point looking right. at Kentucky? Um, like, what Democrat in the right mind wouldn't run? At least run, run around for a few months, and if you don't think you can win, drop out. Right. Um, it's going to be, there's probably going to be seven candidates. Um, I probably think Jim Gray, the mayor of Lexington, is probably going to run. Yeah. Um, he seems to want to run for everything now. Because <laughs> he ran against Rand Paul, he ran for. He tried to run against uh, uh, Andy Barr. He lost the nomination to Amy McGrath, but he still ran. Um, but, yeah, it seems like he's, like, running for everything, I guess. Before you know it, it'll be Jim Gray for president 2024. <laughs> well, even if he doesn't, he just seems to run for every single office now. I mean, if he's sitting, in the, but if Matt Bevin is sitting in the low 30s, yeah, I would almost say the Democrats are the favorites. Just the numbers. I mean, Jeff Collier, who was the incumbent, I mean, Chris Kobach's approval was like, his disapproval, it wasn't even that bad. Like, Chris Kobach had like, it was like, like, he had more disapproval than approval, but it wasn't like that low. Um, oh. I, I would be, but to do God, is Matt Levin. Um, I, I don't know who the best candidate is. Part of me wants to say Andy Bashir since his dad was governor, but yeah, you know, we saw in Florida, you know, when when Graham lost the primary. So I mean, I don't know. Yeah, they could um, try and say he's establishment, or they could try and say that it's a political dynasty thing, like with Bill and Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So I get the reason why he may not be the best. What about Amy yeah, McGrath? Because Amy I McGrath, think she would be a good. I think she's probably who I would support. Yeah, because she could. She might have a chance because I think she might need to tone down some some of her positions because some she some people think the reason she didn't win was because she was a little she was a little bit too progressive, but if she toned it down even just a little tiny bit. If she ran mainly on, like, supporting, like, teachers' unions and stuff like that, I think she could win. Because part of the reason I think Matt... They're saying the reason Matt Bevin's approval numbers are so low is because he defunded a lot of schools and he used some of those funds for other for other things. But he, like, defunded schools. He, defund, he tried to get rid of Obamacare in that state. Um, and that... And he... he pretty much ran into a lot of problems with unions. Uh, so I think if they get somebody who's a union Democrat, that could help them. I, I, I don't know about you, but I personally think that the perhaps the the worst candidate might be Alison Lundergan Grimes. But do you, Oh, yes, for sure. She's the worst candidate they could run. But I, I think Amy McGrath could pull it off. I think if she focused more, if, if she focused less on uh, like really, really liberal ideas and focus more on like teachers unions and whatnot i think she could be a really good candidate oh definitely because i mean the, the, i mean the education issue is what won the election in kansas for kelly and that's what often shores up democratic victories in republican states right um uh interesting 
So, uh, and how do you feel about the other two uh, elections in Mississippi and Louisiana? I think Jim Hood is a particularly good candidate in Mississippi. Um, he's the current incumbent, I think, attorney general. Um, I'm going to watch that, most certainly. I think that Mississippi is a little bit different beast than Kentucky. I think it's going to be a hard uphill battle. But Jim Hood could win. I, I do not say that's impossible. Um, there's no incumbent in that race, so... And I think he's the only he's the only statewide elected Democrat, so he's probably the best candidate they could find. Um, so hopefully he ends up running. And he's running. Hopefully, I he think is he is running. He is running. He is officially in the race. And then John Bell Edwards. Do you know where he sits on approval? He is the most popular Democratic governor in the country. He has a sixty-five percent approval rating. Gonna be hard to beat him, even in Louisiana. It's Louisiana, so there's a shot he could go down in an upset. But if that doesn't radically change, I don't see him losing. Well, based um, on uh, based on the polls, it seems the only Republican that could beat him would be John Neely Kennedy, the senator there, um, because that's the only guy who really is has a really good because he's beating him by decent margins in the polls. But most other Republicans are losing big time in the polls to John Bell Edwards. That's interesting. So, I mean, so the Republican Party may try to recruit um, Bell Edwards or may try to recruit John Kennedy into the race. The only funny thing about that is, is if he, you know, was was elected, he would still have to step down and, you know, Edwards might get to pick the replacement. So that would be yeah. Icky. Well, I think what um, would probably happen is he wouldn't, submit his letter of resignation until the day he got it because that's because that's what typically happens with senators like i think brownback if i'm not mistaken he didn't submit his letter of resignation uh until he got until he became governor and then he got to appoint his own replacement so the democratic governor there didn't uh, who replaced sebelius didn't uh appoint a replacement he did and that's how jerry moran got in i forgot Moran was elected. Oh no, you're um, right. You're sorry. You're right. I'm. I'm. I'm you're right because it was an open year. You're right. I'm sorry about that. Election. But you know who oh, yeah, did? I forgot that because I'm like. Cause you're I remember, right. I remember Moran was elected. I had to think about that. You're right. You're right. I remember Moran won that primary because that was like a big deal when he won that primary. You're right. But um, you know who did is the California, the guy from California in the '90s. The way Diane Feinstein got was there was a Republican senator there. He ran against Diane Feinstein in the governor's race. He narrowly defeated Diane Feinstein and became governor. And then he didn't submit his letter of resignation until the day of uh, him becoming governor. Uh, and then he got to appoint his replacement, who is the mayor of Anaheim, California. But then, guess what? Diane Feinstein came back in the Senate, and then she defeated. Uh, the incumbent senator that he appointed, and to this day she's still in the Senate. But then another I, another case I think is with uh, the Alaska governor's race, because there was a Democratic governor in Alaska in the 90s up until 2003, but then Lisa Murkowski's dad, Frank Murkowski, who was a U.S. senator at the time, won 
the Senate race, or no, he won. He was a senator, but then he won the governor's race, but he didn't submit his le- letter of resignation until the day he became governor. So he ended up appointing his daughter, Lisa Murkowski, to that seat, and that's how Lisa Murkowski got into the U.S. Senate. So I think that's... Lisa Murkowski has had one of the most interesting history of getting into office. Yeah, well, um, and then she had to be written in to survive because she lost the nomination to Joe Miller, who was like a really far-right candidate. And she won. Yeah. So I think... That she won that is a miracle. Yeah. So I think that's probably how they would do it, is is John Neely Kennedy probably wouldn't submit his letter of resignation until the day he got elected, until the day he got inaugurated. And then he would probably appoint somebody to replace him. But I think it's unlikely John Neely Kennedy will run because he's only been in office for a term as senator, or he's been in for less than a term. So I think he's going to want to be senator for a little while longer. The re- the the last the reason people are he's being rumored is because uh, J- David Vitter, uh, who was the senator there for like many 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 years, ran for governor, um, and he ended up losing. Uh, to John Neely Kennedy because he had a lot of skeletons in his closet and there was like a prostitution scandal and John and John, uh, John Bell Edwards used that against him and John Bell Edwards won and John Bell Edwards kind of campaigned as a as a conservative blue dog Democrat. I think he was like, he, I think he actually said he was like 100% pro-life and then he ended up getting elected. Um, and so, uh, And that's mainly what happened there. So there's that. Um, but anyway, so is there anything else you want to say on this issue, or should we move on? I mean, I think Bill Edwards. But I mean, the fact that I mean, so the Democrats could end up having there is a possibility the Democrats win all three seats next year. It's also possible the Republicans hold on to two seats. I don't think Edwards has a shot of losing. It just doesn't look right. that possible. And if uh, and if Democrats hold on to Bell Edwards, assuming they do, which they probably will, and then they pick up undoubtedly. Some people think the former governor Brian Schweiker, I believe his name was, might run again because there's yeah, a grand yeah, fuck. That, that would be the only way they hold that seat. That would be the uh, that actually, I believe, would be the only way they could actually have a shot at holding it. Yeah. I cannot think of anyone else who have a shot at. at Holding that seat yeah, because of a grandfather um, clause, he's able to stay in, or he he would be allowed to yeah. because of a grand. They have term limits, but they also have a grandfather clause, the same one that allowed Terry Branstad to get elected in Iowa, the same one that allowed Jerry Brown to get elected in California. What's funny, what I love about Kansas is that we have you can only serve two consecutive terms, but you can serve unlimited amount of terms in your lifetime. So yeah, that's the same thing in California, I think. Or no, actually, no, it's not. Oh, you're right. Sorry. Yeah, I think you're right. It's interesting. It's interesting because of that. Um. Anyways, why don't we move on to uh, the budget? So right now, Congress is struggling to pass a budget. Um, Democrats want funding for um, uh, the Mueller investigation. Republicans want uh, they want to um, they want to they want funding for a border wall. 
there's a lot of conflict. Do you think that there's any way that they can find compromise in this? And what do you think are the most important things that should be in the budget this year? I mean, the budget really... And this is always a tough issue. I mean, I would say, of course, this is what I say every year, you know, we need to rein in our outlandish foreign spending, uh, especially mm-hmm. on, you know, overseas military bases and countries with we're allies with, and, you know, uh, our just ridiculous defense program and all that. I mean, yes, I'm very pro-defense, but we go so outlandish with it and we're just wasting our people's money or wasting taxpayer dollars. I would much rather say with this, you know, just in general, you know, bring our troops home, you know, stop wasting money, and then, you know, use that money to help with massive infrastructure projects and, you know, rebuilding a lot of the, you know, rebuild, you know, education and and infrastructure, I think, because we need to rebuild a lot of poor economies. We need to, you know, rebuild, revitalize a lot of areas that have been devastated, Um, especially Detroit that have been, you know, just devastated by industry leaving or, you know, just economic depression in general. You know, that there are are parts of the rural South, especially, which we should, you know, we could use a lot of investment. I mean, I, I'm always said we need to reinvest in our people, and um, and you know, not stop being the police state of the world. I, mm-hmm. I just kind of, you know, what I always do that's what I just say in general. But especially, we need to make sure that we have um, adequate funding for, you know, you know, don't try to do it. You know, don't try to do what Ted Cruz did. You know, make sure that Obamacare is funded. You know, as it's still law. Um, make sure that just make sure that everything is adequately funded and that's kind of until we can actually change I bet of course you know the, the budget's not really the time to mess around with spending I mean it is but you know just completely changing the nature of our government which I think we, we need to completely change what our government spends money on mm. um, just like we need to be a gov- the government is for the people and by the people and I think we really need to make it about that again, because right now it's kind of, you know, it's by the corporations and for the corporations. It's not really a people's government, even though the people elect the politicians, you know, with, you know, with how much corruption there is, um, you know, with, you know, the corporations being able to buy the politicians and thus they do whatever they you know, need to do to get reelected. I think we need to get money ultimately out of the system. I think that would solve a lot of our problems. Like, I do yeah. believe getting money out of the political system would actually solve a lot of the issue policies because the politicians would feel... The kind of and, and and the kind of people who would be elected would not necessarily all be rich people, uh, which which is starting to change because the Democrats have really just thrown together a really good grassroots effort, um, and so we've the day we've been able to combat that, but not really, not. I mean, ideally, there should only ideally there would only be like one or two millionaires in Congress right now, like half of Congress is millionaires. Which I doubt half of the country is are millionaires. I've always kind of been offended by that fact that our yeah. representatives aren't very representative of the people. Um, that that has always bothered me. Um, we need to change that. And I think that would change a lot of other stuff, and I think that would make the budget much more reflective because we need to make the budget, you know, go towards the things. You know, of course, like when the Republicans tried to take out funding for CHIP or try to take the funding out of food stamps, or, um, or you know, any of the programs that help the people who actually need help. And it's just kind of appalling when I see that. So it's like, do you actually know that those programs help people while the corporate welfare checks don't? Or I mean, they technically, but not really. Um, but unlike someone who, you know, Head Start, food stamps, or CHIP, you know, that stuff actually has great, great impacts on people's lives. And we need to make sure that stuff's funded, along with, you know, funding 
you know, because one of the things that we saw in Kansas is on a micro scale with the budget is in order to pay for the to, for the tax cuts, what what Brownback did and the conservatives said in the legislature is they pretty much took money from the state employees retirement fund and money from the from the from the highway fund and just and just gave it to pay for the tax cuts. So we've seen a we've seen a you know we've seen our teachers become you know more more skeptical. They've become express their concerns, and we've seen our roads. I mean, Kansas has been known to have some of the some some, some of the best maintained roads in the country, and I think that's it's still the case for much better than say, like Oklahoma or Missouri. Like when you leave Kansas to go to either one of those states, you just you feel a road. Like, oh, I'm obviously leaving Kansas. Um, we're still better than a lot of states, but we've definitely lost. Like there's like there's just there was way too much neglect for many years. Now some of that's been fixed, and they've actually kind of had to work overtime to fix the roads. Like, I've noticed a lot more construction popping up just because all of a sudden, um, when the state was able to get some money back together, they were like, finally able to do some much-needed maintenance on some of the big roads. I mean, so, but then some of the stuff, in, like, here in Wichita, we've, we've had a bunch of construction, but some of that's with federal money. So, um, but yeah, I, I just, I've always kind of said, you know, we need, we need to take care of our people before we take care of, uh, before, you know, before we take care of the people who are already well off. I see. Uh, so why don't we move on to the next story then? Um, so the next story uh, involves uh, Kieran Nielsen and John Kelly. A new report, a new rumor says they could be out. Uh, is this good news? Is this bad news? Uh, what are your thoughts? I think John Kelly leaving. I think the fact that someone is respected as John Kelly is leaving the White House or coming to the White House should scare absolutely everyone. It should terrify everyone, uh, to be more exact, because I believe the White House, and especially Trump himself, I believe he to be a danger, and we need someone like John Kelly that actually understands the importance of certain things, and I think he was able to keep Trump in check sometimes. With someone like that gone, there's a lot of, you know, anyone that has any modicum of respect is kind of refusing to serve in the White House. And we're seeing that, or they'll serve and they'll leave because they, they can't stand just the unprofessionalism and the immaturity, I think, that we're seeing of this administration and, and the far right, some of the far right policies that the White House wants to push is not in line with most people who know makes sense. So I think that's dangerous that someone like John, that John Kelly is leaving. I think that that should be dangerous. That should be considered dangerous because there's no one willing to replace him um it's kind of like the adult in the room you know i never i don't agree much on john kelly on policy but we need someone like that that can just kind of hold the house in order Hmm. interesting so why don't we uh why don't we move on to the main senate race in 2020 so uh right now there's obviously been a rumor uh, Susan Rice, has ex- the former national security advisor, has expressed interest in running for that seat. Uh, well, a new hypothetical poll from Emerson College has come out uh, between uh, Susan Collins and, uh, and Susan Rice. We obviously did, I did an interview with uh, Kat Lund, Dr. Cat London, who is a Democrat running on the show. Uh, but as for the Susan Rice, the this Emerson College hypothetical poll shows uh, shows Susan Collins leading Susan Rice forty to twenty two percent. So, 
What are your thoughts on that poll? And do you think Susan Rice is the best candidate to challenge Susan Collins in 2020, given these poll numbers? I would say given Susan Collins' knack for usually getting about 60-70% of the vote, the fact that she's sitting around 40, if I was Susan Collins, would make me very nervous. Um, she could win re-election. I, I, I don't doubt that. She is still probably popular enough. But the campaign has not begun. I, I think any poll, this, especially in a state race, it's not worth it. In a presidential race, it, it's worth looking at. But um, because it's just, you know, people pay attention to that more year-round. Um, I don't know if Susan Rice is the right candidate. I want to see some of, you know, I definitely want to see a primary in that race so we can kind of get polls for that. Um, if we can see if someone else is performing better in the polls, that would obviously be a, a better candidate. Um, well, Sarah Gideon... Is rumored she's the speaker of the main House of Representatives. What about Jared Golden, who won this week? Do you think Jared Golden could be a good cho- choice? I know he's new to the House. Yes, I, I think I think he'd do better, sort of, say, staying in that seat. I think that's the kind of seat that the Democrats want to hold, and he is probably going to be able. He's going to be able to hold it, but I don't know if anyone else would be able to hold it. Mm. So I would feel good if I was him. Mm-hmm. And he used to work for Susan Collins. He used to be her chief of staff. Yeah, so that would probably make that unlikely. I do hope the Democrat who ran for senator this year against Angus King um, in the three-way race, I hope he runs for senator. Again He's thinking about primary. it. He's thinking about it. Um, I talked to Dr. Cat London, who was, who was one of the candidates who's already declared her candidacy, um, and she said that I asked her before, this was before the primaries, I asked her if she supported Angus King or Zach Ringelstein, and she said she only supported, well, she said she supported Angus King, and she said her reasoning was because Zach Ringelstein only got the nomination because he was unopposed. There was literally no other Democrat running because they just thought, oh, well, Angus King's going to caucus with us. We should just support him. And for that reason, she wasn't going to support Zach Ringelstein. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that could be a liability for uh, Ringelstein come 2020? I don't think so. I mean, because every race is different. I think he would be perceived on the merits of his of his own campaign in 2020, and especially given that there will be a primary in that race in 2020, if he's able to come out of it, he will definitely have, you know, he will definitely would have had to win the Democratic approval, especially with the way they do the ranked choice voting in the primaries in Maine. Okay. Um, so he may end up, you know, if he's able to get a majority with the ranked choice voting, I think that would really show his ability to win an election. Um, if Susan Rice gets in, I think she's going to have a possibility to get the nomination, and I just want to see other people get in the race. I want to mm. see how that race forms um, and comes together, because I think once I know how that race is coming together, um, I'm going to be able to see what's going on. Just, right now, it's, it's just too early to say. Some races, like in Kansas, I kind of can tell what I think might happen. I kind of have some predictions in my head. I, I do have my feelings on Kansas race, but Maine, I mean, I've been to Maine once, but, mm. um, I don't know enough about it to say definitely it's going to go to Collins or definitely will lose. She's going to be much more vulnerable than she has been just because of the Kavanaugh stuff and just because of the changing political nature and kind of the, I mean, she's the only, she's the last Republican standing in New England in Congress in either, in, in either branch, mm. uh, in, in either um, Congress. So, I mean, she's kind of just like, you know, you know how long can she be the last man standing or the last woman standing? Right. 
Well, anyways, why don't we move on to the next story? So, two, both, there were two, last week, um, when I had uh, Omar on, uh, there were two gubernatorial races outstanding, Georgia and Florida. We can now say that they are no longer outstanding. Politics Weekly projects that Brian Kemp is uh, the projected winner in the Georgia gubernatorial election. He has defeated Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams gave her or gave a speech uh, admitting he was the winner, but she did. Uh, she clarified that she didn't think it was a concession speech because she thought that there were dirty tricks that allowed Brian Kemp to win, and because of that, she wasn't going to concede. But she admitted he was the winner. She admitted there was mathematically no way to win the the race. Uh, and in uh, Florida Politics Weekly can now project that Ron DeSantis is the projected winner. He will hold that seat for the Republicans. He has defeated Andrew Gillum, uh, who is uh, who is the Democrat in that race. Funny enough, when I talked to you right after Gillum got the, or no, it was before he got the nomination, when Bernie Sanders was going down to support Gillum, you said you, you thought Gillum was okay, but he wasn't as good as Chris King. Funny enough, he ended up making Chris King his running mate in that race. Um, yeah, and um, I do think that both the Georgia and Florida races were mired with controversy. Yeah. Especially the Georgia race, I do believe had the Georgia race been fair, Abrams would have won. I do believe that that was really a case of five-star voter suppression and that Brian Kemp should be ashamed of himself. Do you think that? Because yeah. I think he had a... The polls were pretty much tied, but I think he... Because there was... Because here's the thing. Um, he was he was doing really well in a lot of the rural areas. Because that's, that's one of the problems Democrats have had in Georgia is the rural areas. Do you think that Stacey Abrams would have been able to uh, still win there and you know, defy the, do you think she would have been able to get past the rural areas if, if there wasn't voter suppression? I, she saw the, the increase of turnout in the urban areas and the suburban mm. areas and the flipping of the suburban areas to the Democrats really put her at an edge. And I do believe that looking at the numbers and looking at how much voter suppression occurred in democratic leaning precincts, um, especially in the Atlanta area, you know, with that, with like there was a whole slew of polling places who did not have enough extension cords to plug into the voting machines. Which I can tell you one thing: I worked the polls on election day. The only reason that would be a problem is intentional. I could get it if I happened at one polling place and they were, they were short one extension cord. No, they were short multiple extension cords at multiple sites. That was intentional. Do not tell me it was otherwise, because um, I worked at a polling station and it was. It was prepackaged. It was sent to the site. You know, the, the elections office, they know how much they need for each particular polling place. It was intentional. It was disgusting. There were five-hour lines in Atlanta. Yeah, the, the, they, there was a lot of suppression. And then, of course, with knocking about 53,000 voters who had registered using the Stacey Abrams organization, uh, Let Georgia Let America Vote, whatever it was called, um, the, the fact that he kicked most of those people off the rolls and that he was kicking people off based on, and they weren't letting people vote based on signature matches in Florida. But um, there was like, because like, you know, you're a poll worker, you, you know, I got like whatever, four hours of training. Mm-hmm. People are going to make those kind of mistakes. Poll signature matching is 
dumbest idea and the fact that there was still a place where they actually still do that i get it for advanced ballots because you know they don't see your identification if they see your identification it's completely over the top and it did and because of that they they denied many people that they denied many people the right to vote um i think georgia was the pinnacle case of and of course they were late on getting absentee ballots out in the mail at the very least had the election been fair it would have gone to a runoff i, I don't think that that is definitely not an yeah. opinion i think Definitely, like, given how close it was, had it been fair, it would have been tied, and it would have been, like, 49 to 49, it would have gone to a runoff. Right. And then I don't know who would have won. Yeah. Then I really no idea who would have won that. Yeah. But definitely, she did not lose, she did not, she did not lose that election in the way it was being portrayed. She might have eventually lost anyway, but she did definitely not lose it on election day. Um, Do you I think don't believe that she- do you think there's any... Oh, sorry. Continue your point. Sorry. No, I was just rambling. Oh, sorry. Uh, is there anything um, you think we can... Do, do you think that we need to take precautions? Like, are there... Do you think that there's an urgent need to take precautions against actual voter fraud? Like, not the voter fraud he talks about, like, but, like, actual voter fraud? Or do you think that that's not a big enough... Do you think that that's not common enough... Uh, to really take urgent precautions towards. Are you talking about election fraud, like changing the results of the election, or are you talking about like voter impersonation? Like voter impersonation. We have like there, in like Chris Kobach was like a really big you know guy who's fighting voter fraud in Kansas when he was like the Secretary of State. In his eight years of being the Secretary of State. He has got nine voter fraud, voter fraud, um, voter fraud convictions, and that's when he was going after ruthlessly. And most of them were were actually it's funny because most of them were Republicans. They were older men. Like one of the guys, I'm not going to say his name because you know, in my opinion, he didn't do anything wrong. Um, he did vote. He has he owns land in both Kansas and Colorado. I think he was a farmer, and. And he and he, you know, is impacted by the local races in both states. So he, what he said he did is he voted in both states in like the local elections, but it, in it, only in Kansas did he vote for president. He only voted for Trump in Kansas, but he voted for local election local officials in in Colorado. And the cross check program that Chris Kobach, you know, famous for supporting, detected that he voted both in Kansas and in Colorado, and um, got him in trouble. Um, I'm like. Yeah, no, in my opinion, there's anything even wrong with that. Like, I get why it's illegal, but um, we should actually reform our system so that if you do live in two different places pretty much equally, that, yes, you only get one presidential ballot, but you should be able to vote um, for the local officials, you know, you know, county commission and stuff like that, where you really, the local taxes will affect your, will affect you. And you have, in my opinion, you should have the right to vote in those local elections. And it actually kind of angers me. Um, I get why it's illegal, but we need to reform that. Um, but, like, literally, there have been, I don't think there was a single case of voter impersonation. It was supposed to be people that misunderstood their voting rights in one way or another, like a felon voting or something like that. It, there was almost no case of voter impersonation. Um, there might have been one. And they literally might have found one in Kansas. Mm. been over eight years. And they have said that pretty much it's, you were, like, I was listening to this, like a podcast last night, and they cited something that said that you're pretty much ten times more likely to get struck by lightning than for voter fraud, voter actual in person voter impersonation to occur. I don't believe it. I mean, of course, you know, there are many things to be said about photo identification laws 
and I mixed on them. At one point, they do really disenfranchise poor voters, um, especially, you know, or even urban voters. Because if you live in a big city, you don't necessarily need a driver's license. Um, and if you don't really have to travel, you don't need it at the airport, you know, you don't, you may, you could get through your entire life without a photo identification. It's completely plausible. And, I, you know, and or you're maybe a really old person, you don't go out much, and, you know, unlike what Trump says, you don't need one device cereal. Um, <laughs> so, um, so we have, I think it's, the Republicans trying to make it a big issue, but in my opinion, it's the Republicans who almost universally are the ones that commit election fraud. Voter fraud is, you know, commit, but people who do it are usually about, it's so minuscule, but it tends to be about 50-50 each side. Like, there was a case in Iowa in 2016 where the woman went to vote for Trump twice. I remember that one was funny because it's like she said, um, you know, I think my first vote for Trump was flipped to Hillary, so I had to go do it again. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> she got like a, I think she got like a jail sentence. I'm not even kidding. Uh, I do remember when that happened. Um, so I really think it, but, you know, overall, it's voter voter fraud is not a big problem. Election fraud, like what we saw happen in Georgia is a major issue. Mm. Um, and, and in the Florida race, I'm not, it's not entirely the Republicans. I mean, a lot of Republicans were the ones committing, I think, that were, you know, with the mail ballot issue and stuff like that. Um, and with, like, Georgia was really messed, much more messed up than Florida was. I think Florida, it's a little bit easier to accept the results. But the one place I don't accept the results in Florida, it was not in the governor race or, this, or the senator race. It was the race for... Kentucky. 23rd Congressional District, Debbie Schultz against Tim Canova. The mm. final results showed De- Debbie Schultz winning about 56 to 33. I don't think that's about what it was. Um, and everyone kind of, that actually understands, kind of says there is some evidence that looks like that race may have been possibly tampered with in order to um, assist Debbie Rossman Schultz in getting reelected. There might have been some corruption in that election by the Democratic county officials that hmm. may have her win re-election. And I'm like, I believe it. Debbie Washington Schultz is probably one of the most corrupt members of Congress, definitely the most corrupt Democrat of Congress. Well, I want, to talk, um, I want to talk a little bit about Florida because now do you think that there was any, that there was any tampering that the Republicans did to get Ron DeSantis elected governor? That one's harder um, to say than Georgia because, you know, they, I, I'm not sure. I do think um, there were some things that kind of make me suspicious, mm-hmm. um, such as, you know, the really, you know, you know, they made, they, you know, there were people that never got their mail-in ballots or they came really late and stuff like that. The mail ballots kind of seemed to be the problem. Um but also, there was one county, I think it was called Bay County in northern Florida, that's like went to 75%. Miami down. Bay? No, like Bay County. It's like oh, in Bay far County. north Florida. Um, this was interesting. Um, the county executive there decided to allow people to vote um, via email or fax, even though Governor Scott um, like had said people... Like after the hurricane said, no, we will open extra early voting locations and extra early voting times, but we are not going to um, allow vote by fax or email. So like he literally went, the Republican county executive 
went in the face of the Republican governor. That I find really interesting. Um, I just find that really, you know, it was illegal under state law. But Kansas is one of the few states where if you're, like, out of the country, you can vote via email or fax. Um, but oh, most states don't allow you to do that. Kansas is a really rare exception. Even though Chris Kobach's been eight years trying to undermine our voting rights, there are still a lot of good things about the Kansas voting system that I actually really appreciate. Um, such as, you know, we have online voter registration, um, stuff like that. But I'm shocked more. I'm shocked how many states don't have online voter yeah. registration. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Now, do you think there was anything Gillum did incorrectly that he could have done better? Uh, or do you think that the race was just completely out of his hands? No, I think he. He did what strategists told him to do, which was the completely wrong thing. After, you know, he ran with Bernie Sanders in the primary and, you know, kind of got that base fired off. That's how he kind of had a comfort behind victory in the primary. Um, but in the general, um, he had he was campaigning with the likes of Debbie Washington Schultz and Hillary Clinton. People look at that and go, no, what are you thinking? Yeah. Like, Hillary Clinton lost Florida. I think that was one of the dumbest moves he made was to campaign with people like that. And he toned down his progressive rhetoric. I think that he kept going as a progressive fighter, he would have been one. Right. Now, while we're on... He would, have, he would have been able to overpower the small inefficiencies in the Florida voting system. The, the, the real thing was the ballot design. That's what I found sketchy. Florida's That's always what been I've heard, that. yeah. The ballot design was because there was a lot of undervotes in the Senate race, apparently. Like, way more than there usually is. So it's, there's a chance, I think Bill Nelson probably won, or may have won, but it was due, but due to the way the ballot, due to the really bad ballot design, from, at least in some counties, it was, you know, he, like, because that was the case in the 20, 2000 presidential election, with, with butterfly ballots and all that crap. Right. Um, like, why did people think that was a good idea? Um, I don't know. Well, while we're on while we're on the topic of the Florida Senate race, um, and and I did hear about that. Um, now Chuck Schumer recently said he said he he said that um, as long as all every single vote was counted in the Senate race, Bill Nelson he believed Bill Nelson would continue to serve in the U.S. Senate. Now, right now, uh, Rick Scott is about ten to twelve thousand votes ahead. Of, uh, of Bill Nelson, there was actually during the recount recently they actually added uh, a thousand votes uh, towards Rick Scott's uh, column. Historically, with the exception of Al Franken, there aren't a lot of scenarios where um, a recount changes the results. And it should be noted without with when Al Franken got elected. Norm Coleman was on the Republican, the Republican incumbent in Minnesota was only 215 votes ahead on election night, uh, whereas Rick Scott is 10 to 12,000 uh, uh, votes ahead. Do you agree with Schumer? And is there any way, um, or do you think that Schumer has a point? Do you agree with him or is it too little too late for Bill Nelson in your opinion? I initially did agree with Schumer when it when it first looked up when I first saw the numbers, but now looking at it, he's done. You think he's done? done. You think there's like a zero percent chance? One percent. One hundred percent. What about the Mississippi special? Yes, I, I can't say zero percent because technically it's not over. But yeah, 
What about the Mississippi special election? Do you think that the Republican is going to, do you think that's in the bag for the Republican or do you think Mike Espy has a chance to upset there? I'm watching it. Yeah. Not saying it's likely. I would much rather be Heitsmith in that race. I think that's going to be close. I do, given how scandal ridden she has become recently. He's running a good race. He got 40% in the runoff. Like, her and him were pretty much tied. Um, I think it's def- he's definitely not going to sit under 40. He's definitely going to be sitting probably in the 45, anywhere up from above 43 and up, I think, is his, his bottom is about 43, I think. Um, I don't think it's going to be a walk away for her. I mean, I would rather be her right now in the race. But th- there were points in the Kansas governor race where I said I would rather been Chris Kobach. Like, right, well, like he was obviously in the better position. Yeah, she's in a better position, but it's not—it's not out of the realm of conversation. Right. Interesting. Um, now, one thing, going back to Florida, real quick before we move on, one thing I've heard suggested, and this has kind of been controversial, but some people agree with it. it but I think they were talking about it on NPR. Is. Uh, is trying to determine voter the intention of the voter, which would be to say that if uh, a ballot, is, if they find a ballot which is a straight Democratic ballot in Florida, but the, they haven't filled out the Senate race, uh, then they should just count that as a vote for Bill Nelson because they just because and to just assume that they would have had they not had they seen the Senate race. Now, some people aren't really a fan of that idea. Some people have tried to say that you can't do that because some people, maybe they liked all the other Democrats on the ballot, but they just didn't like Bill Nelson, but they also didn't like Rick Scott, so they chose to not vote in that race. Uh, Do you agree that it should be counted as a vote for Bill Nelson if every other race is straight Democratic, or do you not agree with that? If there was no mark on the ballot, don't count it, even though the ballot design is flawed and that person very well may have decided to vote for Bill Nelson had they seen his name. Yeah. Well, the, but, if, but, but if, let's say, there's a scenario where there was a mark on the paper, like one, one thing I saw, there was a ballot that someone sent a picture of where Bill Nelson's name was completely circled, but there was like a tiny mark in the in the, in the um in the circle next to Brick Scott, and so the machine didn't count. Um, and that, but that vote should be counted for Bill Nelson. But if there was nothing marked in the in the box for senator, I wouldn't count it, even though it's more than likely they would have voted for Bill Nelson. I've seen. Interesting. Because uh, oh. I like to be consistent on my views on you know counting every vote. It's like yes, we should count every vote that was cast. Technically, there wasn't a vote cast in the Senate race on that ballot, so technically, there's no vote to count, even though they probably meant the vote for him. Yeah. Um, well, uh, all right. So why don't we move on real quick? Um, so I think we have about one more story to talk about, and this is about Paula Jean Swearigan. So for those who don't know, Paula Jean Swearigan uh, was a Democrat. She was a progressive Democrat who primaried Joe Manchin in the uh, this year, in the 2008, excuse me, in the 2018 primary. She only got about 30% of the vote. Um, but neck, but come 2020, there will be a Senate race, uh, in West Virginia. I believe the incumbent, let me look up what her name is. Uh, it's Shelly Moore Capito. Shelly Moore Capito. You're right. So 
there's no Democratic incumbent there. So apparently there's a rumor right now that she's running. Um, she posted a tweet saying there were things to come, thanking her her supporters and saying they should stay tuned for a big for big announcements to come. And then she put hashtag uh, 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 I think it was either it was hashtag swearigan twenty twenty. And then somebody left a comment saying, "Oh, are you doing what?" Um, uh, who is the one? Uh, uh, Richard Ojeda. Richard Ojeda or Richard o- is Richard Ojeda or Richard Ojeda? Richard Ojeda, even though o- his name was originally Ojeda, but he pronounces it Ojeda. Okay, because so I had a, I had a guest last week who said it was named o- Ojeda, so I wasn't sure. Yeah, that was that's how his name is like actually pronounced, but, but he, he just, says Ojeda. So yeah, so uh, some people said, oh, "Are you doing an Ojeda thing? Are you running for president in 2020?" And then she replied and said, "No." Which has led people to assume that she's running against Shelley Moore Capito in 2020. What are your thoughts on her potentially running against Shelley Moore Capito? And if she, if she got the, do you think there's any realistic chance she could get the nomination? And if so, so is there any realistic chance she could beat Shelley Moore Capito in the general election? I want to see this. I, I she supported her big time during her primary. Um, I'm no fan of Joe Manchin at all whatsoever um i'm very glad that she is considering running she would i think she would have a shot at getting a nomination because if she did running against joe manson in the running against joe manson in the primary is pretty much death the kids the kids are dead. yeah no shot it's like right you know he was among democrats especially he's popular in the state um she had no real shot in the primary um, but running in an open primary and maybe, I, I mean, most of those state politicians who were Democrats have become Republicans. I, I'm trying to think of a big name um, that's still alive that could run for that seat that isn't her. Like, I think she's the obvious choice for the state Democrats yeah. besides Richard Ojeda. I think Richard Ojeda or her, and given, you know what, yeah, and since he's running for president, um, that's not an option. Well, there's so. the former governor there who who replaced Manchin, who was a Democrat, who could try running, and then there's also the the state treasurer who's been in forever. He could try running, but I think you're right. Aside from, I mean, there's no members of Congress right now that could run against Shelley Moore Capito. I mean, I think she has an upper hand. I mean, she's campaigned. She knows what needs to be done. She knows how to run a campaign now, um, and she doesn't have to fight the Goliath. Um, like I remember, there was the candidate who ran against the Democrat who ran against Bob Dole in 1992. Said it was kind of like um, David versus Goliath. You know, you pretty much have no shot. It's pretty much just you know, even though you're trying, you, you don't have a shot in hell. Um, and, and that's what it was sad. When I thought she'd do, I thought she'd do a little bit better. I thought she'd be sitting about 35, 40 percent maybe in the primary. But there was just you know, running against Joe Manchin, just so much name recognition. Like he's been in politics in that state since forever um so it was pretty much impossible but i think in an open primary against only a one-term republican senator i would like i would like her prospects of especially getting the nomination and i think that would be would be competitive at the very least Shelley more i mean capito is not a particularly energized republican She's, you know, she just got reelected in a Republican in, in a Republican year, even though West Virginia has kind of gone hard to the Republicans. Um, Joe Manchin is kind of the one one lone remaining um, national Democrat serving West Virginia nationally. Um, right. But I think she could 
definitely with the primary, and I again just with the general. Like I've said a lot, well, it's racist. I just don't know. I mean, I would definitely say it's not going to be a blowout. Um, it's not going to be seventy thirty. It might be fifty five forty five. The worst I could see Paula doing would be sixty forty. The worst. It is the worst I could see her doing was a twenty point deficit. Right. But even then, she has so much appeal. She is. In my opinion, the perfect Democratic candidate for that state. So if she can't win it, no one can. Her and Ojedov are the two perfect, um, the, um, perfect Democratic candidates for a statewide office. There. Right. Um, now they were saying that um, one thing that might hurt her is she doesn't support coal. Like I think she's for clean energy and whatnot. Um, and uh, if you look at, for example, um, in West Virginia, it you know they they. A lot of the people in West Virginia support coal, um, and it's if if you want to run for office, it really really help it, like statewide in West Virginia. It typically really really helps you if you support coal. Um, uh, and like if you look at Richard Ojeda, Richard Ojeda was a big progressive. Even he supported coal. So do you think that that might hurt Paula Jean Swearingen? Uh, that issue might hurt her. The fact that she doesn't support coal, or no. I think, given her personal experience, it would hurt a little bit. But I think she could frame it. If she was the one dominating the narrative, she could shift and make it a positive. I really do think she could be the change agent on that issue in that state. She could kind of, you know, say, hey, look, they've ruined our lives and we can rebuild. Because she's not like Hillary Clinton. You know, she's not saying, let's not care about these people. She's like, yeah, let's retrain our people and, you know, let's kind of go to a better way of life where we don't, we don't all live in despair. Because West Virginia is like one of the most depressing states ever. I've never been, but I've just I've read I've read story after story about it. It's like I feel sorry for the people of West Virginia, and they deserve better. And they deserve people like Richard Ojeda and Paul Jean Swearingen who actually give a fuck about those people, unlike the Republicans who are just sitting on their ass making money and just you know exploiting the fears of the people, which they have every right to have some fears about their jobs because they've lost everything. I mean, West Virginia was was a pretty prosperous state until the seventies, and then they lost everything when you know. You know, we started to move the coal industry and stuff like that. Um, and as it became less desirable, you know, all the mines moved out of ta- moved out of those towns and or cut shifts, and it just made it really sad to be from West Virginia. And I think they need they need somebody who says, "No, we're, we're going to change everything." Mm. And I think she saw who frames it in the right way. She could win, that I, or at least come really close um, and kind of prove that West Virginia is not a conservative state. I don't think it is. I think the state the Republicans have been able to exploit the Democratic, the fact that the Democratic Party in the state has just kind of done nothing. They, they haven't tried to address the the problems. So the Republicans are just like, let's bring it back. And to them, one of that is like, that sounds better than what we're in right now. But if Paul says, that's impossible, and here's how we're actually going to get ourselves out of, you know, out of it, I think it could work. I really do. I kind of wish she, she would work for governor, but, you know, they... I actually think she'd be. She's either going to run for senator or for governor. Yeah. Um, there, is, there is a there is an argument that would say the governor race would be easier to win. Jim Justice isn't that popular. Right? I I don't think ju- Justice is even going to run, frankly, because I think I think what's going to happen is Justice either J- Jim Justice, either he's going to run for the Republican nomination and he's going to lose to either Patrick Morrissey or uh, I don't know who the, sec- the the Republican Secretary of State there might run if he doesn't want to run for re-election, or, um, 
Or he'll just not run. He'll just announce he's going to retire. Because otherwise, why would he make that political stunt to become a to go from being a Democrat to a Republican? That was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Like it was just so. I mean, he was a Republican even when he was elected as a Democrat. So yeah. Well, I think that's about it. One one question before you uh, you you leave, Jack. Um, uh, do you pl- do you have any plans to run for office again anytime soon in Kansas? Let's just say I'm not sure about that. All I right. really don't because I was going to I was considering running for because um, our mayoral election is next year, ah. but they moved the election. Oh. Initially, it was going to be in March, and the pr- the primary, the nonpartisan primary, would be in March, and the general would be in April. Um, they've moved it so now that it follows the same schedule as the gubernatorial elections that the primary is in August and the general is in November. This makes it much harder for me to run because I was planning on running and if I lost, I would still go away to college, but now that's not possible. So I will not be running, but there is a great slate of Democrats. There are many great Democrats who are, are rumored to be running, so I'm not worried about it. It looks like we're going to get a great candidate in the race. I'm not going to say their names because they haven't announced publicly yet. One of them I was specifically told not to say <laughs> that they may be running. There was one candidate who was kind of floated it. Well, he was the Democratic congressional candidate for our district, James Thompson. He is floating running. I will say him because he's kind of come out and said it. Um, he's floating it. Um, a couple other people have kind of mentioned it around the edges. So we're, I think, because our mayor is not that popular. Um mm. He was elected because his opponent was just not savvy. Um, and so I think if we had a strong Democrat running against him, our city is changing enough and becoming more liberal. I think it, I think the Democrat would have a shot. Um, I think the candidates I've been told are pretty good, um, whoever ends up running. Hopefully we just kind of decide on one Democrat so we can just, you know, so we can just not worry about having the primary. Because, um, I mean... The, the, all the Democrats I've heard are great, so I wouldn't care uh, who it was out of the yeah. list. Because um, a couple of the people who haven't mentioned it, they would be great too, so hopefully we get a great candidate and we're able to defeat our mayor, who's just kind of, he's try, really have tr- has tried to defund our city, and it's really a shame. Like, he's tried to close down the public, par- the public pools, and he's tried to, you know, um, limit public transit, you know, he's tried to cut money for the bus system. It's like, these things... Like he's just acting like a Republican, and but but you know the, the business community is doing pretty well, so I don't think he'd have a problem getting a lot of endorsements for re-election. But I think the people are like, no, I think especially the kind of people um, who we need to watch out for. So I really think we need to get a good Democrat against him. I mean, I we, before him we had a two-term Democratic mayor, so it's not impossible. Um, we need some good luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, so before you go, why don't you tell, well, first of all, I'll try and find somebody for the, uh, the marijuana debate. I'm looking at a few people to, uh, for the, uh, the anti-weed position. Uh, so I'll keep you posted on that. But, um, before you go, why don't you tell people where, uh, where they can find you on social media? Um, just search my name, Jack Bergeson on Twitter Instagram and Facebook and you'll be able to find my pages. Um, I don't use Facebook much now that the election's over, but you know, if I run for office again, I will probably use it. So that's useful to follow me there, but pretty much only for that purpose. Cause I, 
um, if you want to get in personal contact with me, I think that's a good way to use it because they do check it often. So if you want to get in personal contact with me, that would be a good way to do it. Otherwise, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Just search my name and you should be able to find it. Uh, I don't remember my handles off the top of my head, admittedly. Um, so I won't be able to tell you that, but you can find it. All right. Thank you again for joining me, Jack. Uh, good luck. Thank you. Nope. Yeah, great to see you. Thanks. Bye. All right, welcome to part two. Uh, this is the Politics Weekly bonus edition, uh, and we're here right now with Bennett Martin twenty twenty from Instagram. Thank you for joining me, Bennett. Thank you. All right. So, uh, first of all, what are you a? Would you consider yourself a Democrat? Would you consider yourself a Libertarian? What? Where, where on the political spectrum do you lie? A progressive liberal. Ah, interesting. Um, so let's see. Uh, what are your what, what's your stance on gun rights? Um, okay, this is where I kind of uh, go right wing, but um, I'm very lax. Um, I I agree with the universal background checks, and um, I kind of have a, an opinion that school shootings might be more of a mental health problem than a gun problem. I am against an assault weapons ban. I do not want to ban assault weapons. I do not. I do not want to ban high-capacity magazines. And even among my very conservative family, I am sort of radical for this view. But I want to legalize machine guns. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So uh, recently we had a midterm. Uh, Democrats did really well in the House. Republicans did really well in the Senate. Overall, do you think personally, as a progressive uh, liberal, do you think this was a blue wave? Um, not really. It was just it was uh, a blue wave. I, in my opinion, a blue wave would be where the Democrats take overwhelming majority of the House. This was just a, by 20 seats. I wouldn't ex- really consider that a blue wave, though. They're saying it could be as many as 40, though. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah because oh, a lot of races were not called on election night. And now they're saying they're probably going to get at least 38, if not 40 seats by the time they're done. Yeah, um, I did vote. Um, I wouldn't... Okay, the Democratic Party right now, um, I don't really agree with them on exactly everything because right now, right now like, Schumer and Pelosi are pretty much just a bunch of corrupt... Dem- or, corporatists they are pretty much republican light they um they're pretty much republicans that don't hate gay people and are pro-choice that's really Uh, it yeah well they are for the wars in the middle east um they i believe pelosi was against it though huh i thought pelosi was against it because i i i we had a progressive on here who said he wanted pelosi to stay because he was claiming that the reason Pelosi became speaker in the first place was because she opposed the Iraq war. Well, her, her stance is kind of see otherwise. She praised Donald Trump for the... She, in 2017 and this year, she praised Donald Trump for his bombing of Syria. Mm. Um, they are... They're pretty much... Yeah, they're corporate bot. Um, they pretty much... They serve the... 
defense contractors. They are not from Medicare for All. They are um, pretty much... They're not really... They're, they're just not on board with the progressive agenda or what we see, what we want for the United States. They're not really as for that as they as we would want them to. Mm. Then there's people like... What we would see ideal is people like Beto O'Rourke, people like o, Ocasio-Cortez, Bernie Sanders. Um, um, people, those are the ideal kind of people we want running the party, though. Mm. Now, what do you think about, um, let's see, what, what was his name? What about, what do you think about Ben Jealous? Because Ben Jealous was a big progressive why do you think Ben Jealous lost uh, the and he ran on Medicare for all? Why do you think he lost the election to Larry Hogan, even though Maryland is an overwhelmingly Democratic state that was won overwhelmingly by both Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama in 2016 and 2012? Okay, yeah, this was an interesting question because this kind of goes back to the idea of wanting to eliminate corporate PAC money and. Um, Damn, what was the other guy's name? Larry Hogan, the incumbent Republican governor. Yeah, he, um, sorry, I just forgot his name for a little bit, but, uh, he took lots of corporate PAC money, but Ben Jealous kept to his word and did not. Uh, so, Ben Jealous was unable to, um, spread his message, unlike, um, Larry Hogan, where he had lots of, where he had billions and, no, millions of dollars of corporate PAC money, where he could easily spread, um, pay for campaign ads billboards and TV commercials and like Jealous who pretty much didn't have the money to didn't have the money to get his word out as much as Hogan did mm. now um, interesting uh, now why do you think Beto came up short because Beto definitely made it close why do you think he came up short um, I think a lot of it was probably just because Texas you know here in Texas we're um we are pretty. We are starting to get more liberal. Um, I live in I live in Splendora, Texas. So where I live is very conservative still. Um, everybody I know on Facebook was like is very pro Cruz, even though they probably don't know much of. His, they probably don't actually know some of the stuff he's for. But um, still, Texas, we're st- uh, you know we're just not there yet. We're still we still have a very large, very right wing evangelical hardline Republican loyalist population here. Mm. But if you go, but now not all the states like that, um, Dallas, um, Houston, Austin, El Paso are turning our state blue. But some people are predicting that if we have another uh, real progressive running in 2020, he will throw John Cornyn out of the Senate. Yeah. Do you think that that could be possible? Because I think John Cornyn, I think he has better approval ratings than Ted Cruz does do you think it could be easier or harder to defeat John Cornyn than it was for Beto to take on Ted Cruz? Um, John Cornyn isn't as popular. Um, well, no, I'm, I don't know. He's not, I'm sorry. Uh, he isn't as famous as Ted Cruz is because Ted Cruz he's a lot. He's more of a celebrity politician than John Cornyn is. So I, in my personal opinion, I do think Cornyn might be a little bit easier to beat. Interesting. All right. Um, Ted Cruz has made a name of being the Christian conservative. He's even though the, he's a even though he's a fraud, um, he's made a name off being the evangelical um, politician that goes around the country and prays on the White House lawn and and uh, even though it's phony as hell because most of his most of his 
ideology just completely contradicts the word of Christ, but interesting. he's a fraud. He's a fraud. Well, that's interesting. Now, going back, I want to go back real quick to what you what you were saying about the uh, the election or, or the the speaker election. We now know Kevin McCarthy is going to be the speaker for the Republic, or he's going to be the minority leader for the Republicans in the House come January. Right now, um, there's an interesting thing going on with the race for speaker because on on election night, it's it kind of seemed like Nancy Pelosi. We had this in the bag. She was going to be the next speaker. But uh, right now you're seeing some interesting um, things right now uh, in terms of what's going on. Because... Oh, God, why is that there? <laughs> yeah. I hate Hillary Clinton. I'm sorry. I was a big... I was a, I That's am just a, a test. I was a big Bernie... Okay. I was a big Bernie bro back in 2016. Yeah. Would you like to see Bernie Sanders run again in... 2020 oh god yes um i'm 18 okay yeah i turned 18 back in september so um i registered to vote just a few days after i turned 18 and i i voted for beto o'rourke um i voted for i don't really have a car yet for lots of reasons but um my mom who is a i hate to say this but she's pretty much she's under the cruise bell she's uh she kept telling me that uh I need to. I needed to vote for God and not vote for um, <laughs> Ted Cruz. Or I needed O'Rourke. to vote for God. I needed to vote in God's favor. No, okay, she didn't literally mean like Ted Cruz is God, but she said that Ted Cruz was a represent was a better was a good representative of God's will. And I said, Mom, um, what the fuck? What the fuck are you talking about, Ted? Cru- no, Ted Cruz. Um, he's anti welfare. He's against Medicare for all. Um, he, he wants to, he wants to privatize, uh, Medicare for senior citizens. He wants, he's against Obamacare. So he want uh, so he wants to throw people with preexisting conditions off their health care. Um, I know this, uh, this year he, uh, he made a bunch of campaign ads saying, Oh, oh, I don't want to throw people off their health care. Um, but you're a fraud because in 2013 you uh, you you met you even said on Rush Limbaugh show that you thought that you that you thought pre-existing condi- covering pre-existing conditions was taking away the rights of the insurance company. So he knew that he was he wasn't going to win because mo- 80 I think it was a recent poll showed that 80 percent of the American people favor um, not cover favor covering people with pre-existing conditions. Interesting. So, um, but anyway, so I go back to my, my, my thing about what I was saying about Nancy Pelosi as speaker. On election night, it seemed like Nancy Pelosi was going to be a, the speaker, but now we're hearing more and more uh, rumblings that she may not be. Uh, just about like a little while ago, I guess like 18 Democrats that just got elected to the House, newly elected ones, just signed... Uh, a letter saying, or they just signed an open letter saying they wouldn't support Pelosi for speaker. Um, and Marsha Fudge, an Ohio congresswoman, is even mulling a run, a, a potential run against Pelosi for speaker. Um, if not, in, in your mind, in your mind, if not Pelosi, then who should be speaker? Probably Fudge because she's actually very, she's actually pretty conser- uh, progressive. So I think she'd be a good speaker. 
Some people might argue that she's not the chairwoman of a committee and that might hurt her. Do you think the, do you agree with that or no? Um, I don't really I don't know that one actually. Um, I don't know the in and outs of how the the Washington politicians think. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. I don't really know that answer. Well, cuz typically what they do is um they either get the chairman of a committee or they get the the majority slash minority leader or majority slash minority whip to be the next speaker. Uh, like for example, with, um, with, uh, Kevin McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy was the majority leader, not, not as big as the speaker role, which Paul Ryan had, but he was the majority leader, which was the second biggest role. And now he's the minority leader. Uh, Paul Ryan, before he, before he became speaker was the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee um, when they made him Speaker of the House. Um, so right now, Pelosi um, is minority, but like right now, um, what's her name? Marsha Fudge isn't a minority, or she's not, she's not a minority leader, she's not a minority whip, and she's not the chairman of a committee. So do you think that might make it more unlikely that she's going to win? Maybe sadly, damn. Um, more than likely, yeah. But that's a, that's kind of sad because I would favor her as Speaker of the House, but I don't know if it's going to happen or not. Interesting. So, um, I want to get your your take on some recent things uh, in the news, uh, really quickly, uh, really quickly. So, um, first of all, um, I. I want to talk about uh, some of the recent election results we saw. Uh, Kirsten Cinema won the Senate race. That's a pickup for the Democrats in Arizona. Um, Brian Kemp won the governor's race in uh, in, in uh, Georgia, and Ron DeSantis won the governor's race in uh, in Florida. What were your thoughts on these uh, results? Um, Brian, okay, Brian Kemp, that was, uh, okay, you know who Kyle Kalinske is? Yes, yeah, the second Secretary of talk, talk, yeah, yeah, okay, he does, he does a very good job explaining why the Florida, the Georgia election was very rigged, because Kemp is the current Secretary of State of Florida, of and, uh, he oversees, but, Georgia. oh, Florida. sorry, yeah, uh, Georgia. He's the current Secretary of State there, and he and the Secretary of State of each state oversees the elections. And um, what's uh and what was his opponent's name? Dear God, I forgot her name. Uh, Stacey Abrams. Yeah, Stacey Abrams. Okay, so Stacey Abrams founded a she founded an organization that helps mostly Black teens uh, register to vote. And a lot of the and Kemp put in a bunch of rules, put in a bunch of rules that said like if you're if what you write down on your voter registration card is not the exact same as your driver's license, then you won't be able to vote because there's a possibility of fraud. And a lot and I think it was thousands of people actually got kicked off of their ability to vote because they did not write down the exact same. Um, credentials as they put on their driver's license as they did onto their voter registration card um so that was that was 
pretty you can like you can kind of smell the beer of the bullshit from a mile away with that one. So Brian Kemp, that was kind of uh, I consider that kind of an election fraud, pretty much, because if he if you really look at the merits, the laws that he put into place, it almost looked like he was completely targeting uh, people of the people that were on her that were in her organization that helped other that helped people register to vote and uh, if you're running and there just there should just be a rule in place that says like if you are running for governor or if you're running for an election you should not be able you shouldn't be secretary of state because you're overseeing your own election and that can do that's pretty much um conflict of interest right then and there so he should have resigned his post and also a lot of the rules that he put into place were targeting people pretty much targeted people of color if you look at the if you look at how what the people that got targeted speaking of which um uh right before stacy abrams admitted defeat this week uh uh sherrod brown the democratic senator from ohio uh said that uh well one of the things he said was that if stacy abrams uh, doesn't win, uh, then um, then it's rigged. It's automatically rigged. Um, like like in like unless unless if she didn't win, there was no way. Like, do do you agree with that? Do you agree that if essentially if there was no tampering with the elections, Stacey Abrams would have won. Okay, yeah, if Kemp did not put in all the rules that he put in place, I do think she would have won. Because his rules that he put when it comes to registering to vote, he put way too he put his rules were too strict. And I think if he wasn't so if he wasn't too strict on his rules, uh, she probably would have won. Do you think that um, she could have won in a runoff? Because in a lot of runoffs there tends to be more Republican turnout. Do you think she could have overcome that uh, and could have overcome history and gotten enough people to turn out in a runoff if there was a runoff? Probably not, sadly. Now, I want to move over to Florida, the governor's race. Uh, Oh, God. We're talking all about progressives and and progressive movements. Uh, Andrew Gillum was considered a progressive. And he had yeah, he was pretty flawed. He was pretty flawed, but he, he had Chris King, who is an even bigger progressive than he was, as his running mate. Why didn't he win? Um, okay, so in the prim- in the primaries, he was he in the primaries. He talked about Medicare for all. He living wages. He talked about ending. He was for ending the wars. He talked. To, he wanted. Okay, sadly, he talked about uh, banning assault weapons, and I'm against that. So I don't know. That might have got him a lot of. That might have got him a lot of attention. But he talked about a bunch of hot button issues that a lot of the people of Florida were in favor of in the primaries. So that's why he won so easily in the primaries. But once he got into the, when he got into the general, he did that. He did the same mistake a lot of Democrats do, where they run to the left in the primaries, and then they run to the center in the general. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, she was campaigning with him, and he had a whole bunch of other establishment Democrats uh, helping him out, and a bunch of other celebrities were 
campaigning with him, and I think that turned off a lot of um, a lot of people that just saw him as an elitist establishment Democrat, and that probably cost him the general. Ah, uh, interesting. Uh, now, DeSantis, DeSantis, uh, you know, I. I really just, I can go on forever about how I think DeSantis is awful, but sadly, that's the reality in Florida now. Why don't you think the blue wave washed over Florida? What do you think happened? Because before this election, most people thought, well, first of all, both Gillum and um, uh, uh, Bill Nelson were leading in the polls. Um that was number one. And number two, people thought, oh, well, after after the hurricane, after the uh, the bashing Trump got for that, after uh, after the uh, the shooting at Parkland High School, in this political climate, there was no way Florida was ever going to go, you know, Republican again, especially, I mean, let's face it, there's a big minority population in in Florida. Why didn't the blue wave wash over Florida? Um, I pretty much think it was because... Hold on. I think it was pretty much because they, uh, Gillum, he turned off a lot of people, uh, like Gillum, for example, he turned off a lot of people with with running to the center in, his, in the general. And, um... I guess I really don't know. I'm not a Floridian. I'm, I don't live in Florida, so I, I, my biggest guess it was probably because he turned off a lot of people with running to the center and campaigning with Hillary Clinton, and um, he didn't get the he didn't really have the the grassroots. Well, no, he had the progressive support, but once he ran to the center, that just turned off a lot of people. Now. Um Another thing I I want to talk about. Um, what oh yes, um, in Florida, uh, it has I think Florida has the biggest number of retirements. Like in in other words, the the, the most amount of people who are retired live in Florida, and they tend to be older uh, older people who come from a different generation. That's why you'll often hear people make you might. I'm not sure if you've ever heard this, but a lot of old older people will make jokes. They'll be like, oh, well, after, you know, when I get old enough, I'm going to retire from this job and move down to Florida. That's because a lot of elderly people do that um, because, you know, they think, oh, it's hot. It's nice. Uh, I don't have to shovel snow during Christmas time in Florida. Um, uh, so do you think, because some people think part of the reason... Uh, Florida has gone so Republican because I always hear all these people say, "Well, why, why does Florida keep going so Republican? There are so many Hispanics there, um, and the uh, and a lot of times people will the answer to that is uh, that a lot of people will give is because of all the older retire retirees that have moved down there because they'll go down there and." They come from a different generation, they have different ideas, and they tend to vote more conservatively. Do you agree with that? Do you think that that's a good analogy? And do you think that maybe that might have hurt Gillum? Because maybe Gillum, maybe he had some appeal amongst younger folks, 
but maybe he didn't get younger folks to turn out enough because let's face it, a lot of younger people don't vote. Um, and do you think that um, the that he might have alienated some of his older, uh, some of the older demographic? Yeah, that actually, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I never really thought about that, but um, that kind of makes a lot of sense. Um, a lot of white people, um, a lot of older white people probably, um, they see a black face and they probably get turned off. You know, people in their 70s and 80s that grew up in segregation, they're, they probably, they see a black guy and they get turned off by it. Mm. But um, also just their, their ideology, they're even just most mostly ideological. I would, I'd say race is probably like a very small portion, but ideology, but ideologically, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure a lot of that was because uh, older conservative people voted. I think it might have had to do with guns, too, because a lot of older people, you know, are are big into gun rights, and they don't like it when, you know, a big pretentious politician says, I'm going to take away your guns. Do you think that might have been a factor since, as you said, Gillum was advocating for an assault weapons ban? Yeah, that might have. Uh, there's also in Florida um, when you get out. So I've actually I've been to Florida multiple times, but um, when you get out of Miami and Palm Beach and uh, Tampa, and you go towards the center of the state, it's very redneck, very uh, conservative Republican. So I'm pretty sure a lot of the older uh, rednecks probably turned out and right, voted panhandle. for DeSantis. You mean the Florida? Yeah, yeah the Florida Panhandle, because that's right near Alabama. And really, really rural. It's really, really rural. It's right near the Alabama areas and whatnot. Well, even central, even in the on the low on the lower peninsula, which is main, um, main, main Florida. Uh, once you get out of Tampa and Miami, and you go in towards the center of the state, it's very redneck and very cons- conservative. Interesting. So I want to talk also a little bit about um, what happened. Um, with Sherrod Brown this week, because now there are new rumors that Sherrod Brown uh, could be in it. He could be in it for the presidency. Sherrod Brown is, of course, the Democratic senator from Ohio. He was elected. He was reelected to a third term two weeks ago. Um, uh, but right now he's mulling a run for the presidency. Do you think it would be a good idea for Sherrod Brown to run for president? What do you think? Um, no, no, I think because no one really knows who he is, so I think he might split the vote, and, um, I think, okay, I don't really know much, I don't, I know he, okay, I know he's progressive, but I don't really know a lot about him, but, uh, I don't think he'll be able, I don't really think he'll be able to beat Donald Trump in 2020, but unlike Bernie Sanders, so I think we'll probably claim Trump's clock in 2020, but I don't really know I don't know if Sherrod Brown could do the job, but I do have great hope that Bernie Sanders could probably uh, significantly beat Donald Trump in 2020. You think so? Yes. Interesting. So, um, now some people have argued that one of the one of the arguments people have made against Sherrod Brown is that if Democrats want to take back the Senate in two years... Uh, they they essentially need there there are a lot more opportunities than they had in 2018 
You know, they could, they could, right now, most people believe Colorado is probably, go, unless something extra, I mean, it's a long time away, but they think Colorado, considering how Democratic Colorado has been leaning, Colorado is probably swinging in the favor of Democrats, and that Cory Gardner probably will lose re-election. They're saying that Arizona could uh, flip for the Democrats, Again, some people are saying the re- the only reason Kristen Sinema won was because she was such a good candidate, and there aren't a lot of great Democratic candidates, so that might be harder, but it's still going to be an open seat, so some people think they could win the Arizona special election. Uh, another thing is um, uh, they, uh, uh, in North Carolina, they think, you know, that's a conservative-leaning state, but they do think you know, they, they, they have a Democratic governor there. A lot of Democrats do have high hopes about the fact that they could defeat the incumbent Tom Tillis. And then in Maine, um, uh, they could, um, uh, Democrats, are, it's going to be hard for them to take down Susan Collins, especially since a new poll showed her leading Susan Rice 40 to 22 percent. But Democrats still have high hopes that they could take her down. And if they picked up those four seats, assuming Republicans come out of the 2018 midterms with a 53 to 47 margin, that would be, that would give Democrats 48, 49, 50, um, or, or 47, 48, 49, 50, 51. Um, but um, then you also have to take into, into, uh, into consideration the fact uh, that um, that uh, um, that Alabama could is probably going to flip for the Democrat or for the Republicans. A lot of Democrats have already conceded in Alabama because the the thing about Alabama is Doug Jones only barely won against a pedophile. That kind of shows you how uh, Republican. Alabama is the fact that you can only barely defeat a pedophile if you're a Democrat in that state. Um, and so have you, ever, have you have you ever been to Alabama? No. Oh gosh, yeah, you would. I don't think you'd understand. It's extra, Alabama is extremely right wing conservative. Yeah, like it. We're talking about the home state of George fucking Wallace. Yeah. Well, I, um, I mean, you should. You, I mean, you'd think in any almost any other place you could beat a, a convicted pedophile by a land. Like Kirsten Cinema would have won the election, the Senate election by a landslide in Arizona if Roy Moore was running against her. But in Alabama, not so much because it's Alabama. So people yeah, are. Yeah, it's Alabama. Be- it's um. <laughs> Yeah, they're Alabama. Shit, they, oh, what'd they do? Um, but they're saying right yeah, now... Yeah, in 2003... No, sorry, I got that wrong. Uh, Alabama is very uh, very conservative. Um, Alabama has been, you know, there's still a big population, um, people in their 70s and 80s and 60s that are from the segregation era, and they are just very, very conservative. Um, they think voting liberal, uh, voting for a liberal is the a sin against God, pretty yeah. much to them. Well, my my right now, a lot of people are predicting because of how right wing it is. Doug Jones will be up for a full term. 
a lot of Democrats are already conceding that race. They, they acknowledge that they have to get, that Republicans literally have to recruit the worst possible candidate. I mean, if they, if it, if it took him only two points, a Democrat only two points to defeat a potential pedophile, then imagine what it's going to take when he's running for a full term for Doug Jones to win. I mean, they'll probably need to, uh, they'll probably need to elect, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe they get, I mean, maybe Ronald McDonald, but even then that's unlikely. Um, I mean, they probably need to get like somebody who's a convicted murderer or something in order to, I doubt that. Yeah. So it, the, I doubt a murderer would. I doubt a murderer uh, would lose. Yeah, in Alabama. So it's unlikely um, that it, it, that Democrats can hold on. It's not out of the question, but it's definitely unlikely that Democrats are going to hold on to the seat in two thousand and twenty. Uh, so Democrats have already kind of conceded there. Um, but in other places, um, so if, if you take that off the map, that gives them, um, uh, that would give them, assuming they pick up Colorado, Arizona, and uh, and Maine, which, again, some of those might be a little hard. Colorado, not so much, but the other two they could try in. Um, then they have to pick up, um, well, that would give them 50-50, if Trump gets reelected, they keep the majority. So then, in most cases, they just need to pick up one of the one of the two, either North Carolina or Georgia. But if they lose Alabama, they need to win all five, all five of those toss ups in order to take back a majority in the Senate. And that's assuming they can hold on to uh, Michigan, Minnesota, and. Uh, New New Hampshire, where Democrats are going to be defending seats in 2020. Um, but right now, uh, one of the arguments against Sherrod Brown is that if they run the table, if they lose Alabama, but they but they hold on to Minnesota, Michigan, and uh, New Hampshire, and they pick up all five of those, uh, or they pick up a lot of seats, and they get close to a majority. Let's say they get a 50-50 tie, and Sherrod Brown wins the presidency. That should be good, right? Because Democrats would get a majority in the Senate because Sherrod Brown's vice president would be president of the Senate, right? Not so fast. Yes. Because if Sherrod Brown resigns, guess who appoints his replacement? Mike DeWine, the incoming Republican governor. So that, would not, that wouldn't be good because that, that would... That would give Republicans a fifty-one forty-nine majority. Yeah, I really do hope. I really do hope uh, that hell, even if Trump wins in twenty twenty, I do hope the Democrats take the Senate at least. Because, um, for example, Ruth Bader Ginsburg does not have much longer, and I think I do not want um, Amy Coney Barrett in the Supreme Court. Oh no, that bitch does not belong in there. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. When we lose uh, Ginsburg, uh, she said she she wants to stay at least five more years in the court. So when we lose Ginsburg, if if we have a Republican Senate and Donald Trump is still in office, there's no doubt that she's going to put Amy Coney Barrett on the which 
Amy Coney Barrett was one of the three nominees he, he threw out back over the summer, and he picked Brett Kavanaugh, despite the fact that Kavanaugh's terrible. Not because I don't, I don't know if Ford was lo- telling the truth or lying. I really don't know. Um, I won't. We, but my biggest grievance against Kavanaugh was his his views on abortion and his views on uh, the Fourth Amendment. But if 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 Trump is president, he's going to appoint Ginsburg. He's going to appoint um, Amy Coney Barrett, you think which so? was the what? You think so? Yeah, he would. Uh, I guarantee he's going to do it just to appease his uh, his evangelical base. Do you think that she's in it for the long haul? Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Hello? I'm sorry, I got a phone call. Uh, what are you saying? Do you think that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is in it for the long haul, or do you think that she could step down? Um, I really hope she... I don't know. Um, she did say in a, she did, uh, CNN made a, doc- a documentary about her over the summer and she did say in the documentary that she wants to, that she, uh, that she wants to, she will, she wants to die on the court. Yeah. Well, they, cause the reason I ask is because of Thurgood Marshall. Thur- for those who don't know, Thurgood Marshall was the first. He was, Af- he was a very, he was, he was a very good justice. Yeah. He was the first African-American justice. Um, he was appointed by Lyndon Johnson. He was a very liberal justice. He helped get Roe versus Wade passed on the court. Um, and he always, it was no secret that he always wanted to step down under a democratic president so that another really, really liberal justice that kind of shared his views could get appointed to the court. However, in 1991, his health declined and he became incapable of continuing to serve on the court. Uh, so he ended up having to step down under the administration of George Herbert Walker Bush, and George Herbert Walker Bush ended up appointing Clarence Thomas, who uh, ended up being one of the most conservative justices on the court to this day, or currently, right now, he's one of the most conservative justices on the court. Yeah, he's pretty... Yeah, he's actually... I've looked at his history, and he's pretty terrible. Um... He voted. Uh, no, he uh, he ruled uh, one of the most one of the fam- more famous uh, Supreme Court uh, cases to come out of here in Texas was uh, Lawrence versus Texas in two thousand three, and pretty much um, before. Uh, now, just so you know, there's a this state is full of assholes. Just I don't know if you've ever been down here, but there's a lot of assholes down here, and um, religious conservatives have dominated our government ever since we were ever since we first became a thing back in the 1830s and uh a bunch of authoritarian assholes decided to make it a law saying that gay people did not have the right to have sex um originally it was just all form of sodomy um straight people were not allowed to have anal or anal sex or straight people could not have blowjobs but after Roe versus Wade, another court case that came out of here in Texas, um, the state government thought that if if we give straight couples the right to have anal um, anal and oral sex, then maybe um, the pregnancy rate might go down because a bunch of people here in the Texas government were pretty pissed off that abortion was now 
legal, so they thought that if they allowed um, anal and oral sex, that maybe the pregnancy rate might go down. But then, but they kept the law against homosexual sex. But then, in, in 1998, uh, John Lawrence and what's his name? Okay, this guy, yeah, the guy named Lawrence, was having sex with his partner, and uh, there was a gun going off in their neighborhood. And so someone called the police, and the police searched his home because they thought he was the one firing off the gun. And they found him and Tyrone Gardner um, having anal sex in the bedroom. And they threw him in jail because, you know, as I said, a lot of people in our government are, are assholes. And uh, he took the case to the Supreme Court, and he said that um, Texas anti-sodomy laws were against the Constitution, which they are. And... Uh, Thomas ruled that Texas had the right to pretty much throw gay people in jail for having sex. So he's an asshole. Um, Thomas is. He also ruled against um, Obergefell versus Hodges. Um, as a black man, I was I was surprised that he actually ruled um, in favor of Shelby County back in 2013. But he's just he's had a pretty horrendous history though. Mm. So do you think something like that could happen where Ginsburg wants to essentially leave? Because let's face it, if Hillary Clinton had won, she might have, there's a chance she might have stepped down a little earlier thinking that, you know, okay, Hillary's going to appoint a more liberal justice like me. But um, with uh, Clarence Thomas, if he steps, or not Clarence Thomas, if Ruth Bader Ginsburg steps down, do you think it could be like another repeat where her health declines, she has to, or she feels the need to, uh, to uh, step down under Trump because she's incapacitated and you end up with another really conservative justice like Amy Coney Barrett, for example? Um, that's a very uh, hard, that's a very sad truth to face, but I really hope not, but the possibility's there, um, but probably... And I really, I really, really hope that um, Amy Coney Barrett is not put on the court. What about, um, why don't we move on? Uh, Michael Avenatti got arrested this week. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? Um, he was pretty much, he was, um, Michael Avenatti was just a, he was just an anti-Trump, he was an idiot. Um, he actually, he was considered running for president. The only the only reason he's even relevant is because um, the mainstream media was just giving him a platform just to talk about how horrible, horrible Trump is, and he got caught up in his own ego, and he's like, "Hey, I think I have all this attention, and I can run for president." No, 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 Donald, you're gonna you're gonna make yourself if you run for president, you're gonna make yourself look like a dumbass, and seriously, God forbid you run against Trump because Trump will destroy you, and um, then we're gonna be stuck with him for another four years. Uh, so about Michael Avenatti, I pretty I'm just. Do you think there's a? Chance I'm kind of. If he runs, what? do you think there's a chance he could win the Democratic nomination? Um, probably not. Um, because he's just not very relevant. Uh, maybe he might he might get a few thousand votes mostly from ignorant people, sadly. But um, I don't think he. But he will not. I don't think he's going to win the nomination if he runs, which I really hope he does not. Interesting. Because I would love, I really, really want Bernie Sanders to be the nominee. Yeah. Would you support the Democrat if it's not Bernie Sanders? 
I would have to, pretty much. Even if it's Hillary Clinton. Anything's anything's better than Trump, pretty much. Even Hillary Clinton. Yes, I'm so I I'd have to, because anything is better than Donald Trump. Because I know Donald Trump, he might only be here for four years, but just the idea of um, just the idea of somebody of if because not only will Ginsburg go, but um, Sotomayor, um, Sotomayor, I don't know how to pronounce it. Sonia Sotomayor. Um, Sotomayor might go um, because she has diabetes and she says it's under control, but we really, but I don't know. She could probably, she could probably be lying. So Sotomayor might go, um, Ginsburg might go, and got, and who knows what kind of horrible, um, extreme conservative appointee uh, judges he's going to put on the if he he can put on the court. Mm. Now I want to know what what was your thought on uh, the uh, the gay baker issue? Do you believe that? Uh, do you believe the Supreme Court made the right choice when they said that the Colorado baker didn't have to bake the cake for the gay couple? Um, yeah, this is where I become, I'm a little more libertarian on this kind of issue, but yes. Um, I honestly don't really know, I don't know why the gay, the gay, okay, the, that one gay couple gives um, a lot of gays a bad name as these annoying little um, entitled little pricks who think they can just get their way. Um, sadly, um, people like them have given gays a reputation among um, homophobes. Like, I've given that kind of reputation uh, for gays among homophobes. Um, but pretty much, I do think it was his... Uh, he had the right because some people will say, well, um, couldn't you make a cake? What if... Um, if he can't make a cake for a black... Uh, for a gay couple then can restaurants have the right to refuse service to gay people too? And I say, well, not really, because if you're making a, a cake for a, you're making, you're, you're serving an, uh, an event. Uh, if a gay couple just walks into your pizza parlor, I think that, that they're protected under the Civil Rights Act too, and that, that pizza parlor does not have the right to not give them pizza if they're just there to eat pizza. But if they're... Go if they're if they're having a wedding, I think like that's where I become a little more um, pro business on the thing where they don't really I don't think they should have to serve that event. While um, if you're just walking in and having pizza for a few, for an hour, that's completely different. What do you think about the idea of anti discrimination laws in general? Do you support them or do you not support them? Um, it just depends on what their uh, the merit, um, like. Hold on. Um, hold on. Do you believe that um, anti-discrimination laws in general? Do you, do you agree with them or no? Um, I pretty I probably say overall yes. Uh, but it just kind of depends on what they're exactly. Um, some of them, I guess, can be a little bit overreaching. Others are probably pretty needed. Um, like in Indiana, there was that law a few years ago that Mike Pence signed. Which I actually despise Mike Pence with every bone of my body, but um, which pretty much said that um, cr- that anybody can discriminate against somebody for religious reasons. So, um, example. So pretty much, um, a pizza parlor with a fundamentalist owner can pretty much say, "Oh no, I don't want you. In my, I'm I don't want you. I'm not going to serve you." Even if they're just walking in for a hamburger, they can't. 
they'll have the right to refuse service and I deeply don't think uh, I deeply am against those kind of um, laws that give that give um, businesses the right to discriminate just for stuff like that uh, another thing I want to move on to is the Jim Acosta thing. Um, where, uh, what were your thoughts on the whole ordeal this week with Jim Acosta and him, him getting his White House pass provoked? Trump was being a little bitch. Um, Jim Acosta, if you look, if you actually look at the real C-SPAD, they kind of say, oh, Jim Acosta, he's, uh, he's being disrespectful. Okay, um. Donald Trump, please uh, stop talking about respect. Um, you don't really deserve respect um, because you're you you've lied to the American people. You told us that we were. You told us that you were against the war in the Middle East. So now, but now you're increasing them. So you lied to us. Um, you pretty much want to kick people with pre-existing conditions off their health care, so that was just one thing why Trump saying oh, he was disrespectful is pretty much just another word of saying that he was that Trump is pretty much just being a snowflake because he can't handle um, Jim Acosta being a little bit rude boo-hoo, but he should not have had his press release taken away from him, no Okay, and then the, the one other thing I wanted to talk about uh, before we sign off is, um the uh, the Kentucky governor's race, there's going to be a governor's race in Kentucky in 2019. The Republican incumbent who's running for re-election, Matt Bevin, is unpopular, so Democrats see an opportunity to take him down. Um, we already knew that Andy Bashir, the Democratic attorney general and son of former uh, Governor Steve Bashir is running, but now we also know that uh, Democrat Rocky Adkins, the minority leader of the, excuse me, Kentucky House of Representatives, is running. Uh, are you? Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I hope the Democrat wins. Um, anything because I was very disappointed with Marsha Blackburn winning because she's. She's pretty terrible. Um, I can go on forever why she's pretty terrible, but I was pretty disappointed in Marsha Blackburn uh, winning. So I really do hope the Democrat wins. I don't think that's really going to happen because, you know, it's Kentucky. It's very religious, conservative. There's a lot of – it's very religious, very conservative. Um, So I don't – most likely um, a Democrat winning is probably not really going to happen. All right. Uh, well, I think that's uh, that's about it. So uh, thank you again for joining us. Before we leave, do you want to tell everybody where you can be found on social media? Um, yeah, sure. Um, I am at Bennett Martin 2020 is my Instagram. My Snapchat is bmartin8202. And um, my Facebook is just Bennett Martin. All right. Thank you again. We'd love to have you on for another episode. No other issues like abortion, gay rights, uh, anything else? Not, not right now. Because, yeah, I think it's pretty obvious I'm pro-choice and I'm yeah. for gay rights. Um, are you ever gonna have a roundtable? Like yeah, we're gonna do that for the 25th episode. All right, uh, you should try to have some, um, uh, some real social and uh, 
economic conservatives on there because I don't know why I just like debating conservative. All right. Uh, and if you if you want because their arguments are but uh, especially social especially. Oh, you're breaking up. Weekly is a podcast. On- okay, um, pretty much. I really do like debating conservatives, especially on social issues. Are probably the most fun, but uh, that would be a pretty nice thing to join. All right, and if you want, we can uh, try and book you for t- two weeks from now if you want to come on for a full episode. Um, that would be nice. Yes. All I'd right. Like to debate other people. Okay. Sounds yes. good. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye. Wait. All right, thank you again for listening, everyone. Good night.